Life insurance. What's your excuse for putting it off? Can't afford it? Too much hassle? Think your work coverage is enough? There's a lot of excuses for putting off life insurance, but one big reason why you shouldn't. If the unexpected were to happen to you, who would pay the mortgage, the kid's tuition, and all the other bills? In a time of grief, the last thing you would want is for your family to have to sell the house and struggle to survive financially. At Ethos, we could get you covered in just 10 minutes and boom, family protected. Rates can increase the longer you wait, so no more excuses. Take 10 minutes today and discover the modern way to get the life insurance coverage you need. Ethos, fast and easy online term life insurance, up to $2 million in coverage with no medical exam. Some policies as low as a dollar a day. Answer a few health questions and get your free quote at ethoslife.com slash audio. That's E-T-H-O-S life.com slash audio. On today's show, we have Andy Grant. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming, yeah. mate. Really nice to have you. Oh, it's good. If people good don't you. know, you're the star of the ITV documentary Paragon. And you were. Star used loosely. I mean, I'm going to use yeah. that, mate, because it makes me so bad because I've got a star on the yeah. show. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, for you're a Royal Marine, mate. Yeah, that's better than saying start of. I mean, TV that show, is yeah. that is to me when I grew up, I, I was I was thinking to myself like I, I kind of wanted to be a Royal Marine. Like I remember I went into the careers office at one point and I was like, they were saying like what you could choose to do, but when they said Royal Marine, mm. there's just something about that makes you sound like a superhuman. Like it does sound like <laughs> what a do superhero. you makes you sound like you do have to be superhuman. No, but it does. It does like and you. Obviously, had an accident at some point, didn't you, when you were in Afghanistan? Yeah. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about what happened before we go into the rest of your story? Yeah. So, I'd been in the Marines at this point for um, maybe four or five years. Mm-hmm. We've been in Afghanistan. The place where we were in Afghanistan was a place called Sangin, which was, um, if you can imagine, being in the most dangerous house in the most dangerous street in the most dangerous area in the most dangerous cities that kind of sketch some people know I actually do have that life <laughs> yeah. so you, you know exactly what I mean so yeah. it was it was um, not only that you know we knew it was bad at the time but it's only in hindsight when you look back that in 2009 when we were out there I think it was 108 soldiers were killed in one year mm. and they say I think 7 or 8 are injured for everyone that's killed so you know it was a pretty bad time on this particular morning that I, I was injured it was the 3rd of February 2009. Routine foot patrol. Our objective for this day was to get to a compound where we knew Taliban were occupied. And the idea was to go out in the pitch pitch black, five, half four, five in the morning, patrol out there, essentially give them the good news while, you know, before they could wake up and, and come for us. It was basically get there in the, in the pitch black. So we were out there going on this patrol. We'd been on patrol for about maybe an hour or so. And it's February, so it's it's cold, it's muddy, it's raining, it's 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 really hard to patrol across the ground because mm. you're carrying a lot of weight, carrying all your weapons. You know, you can carry. You, know, you carry ridiculous yeah, amounts of weight, don't you, when you do these things? It sounds unprofessional, but sometimes the boss would be like, "Lads, if you can carry an extra few grenades or an extra, you know, rocket or mm. a few extra link, carry it," because we knew we were going to come yeah. into contact with the enemy. So it's all right saying that, but you're carrying a lot of weight. It adds up, and you know. No, well, <laughs> no, but just well. One of my best pals growing up became a, a Royal Marine, and that, and uh, he would go jogging uh, with uh, a backpack just loaded with weight. And yeah. I, I, when I was into running, it's been a few years before the jokes fucking flying. Yeah. Um, 
I, I try to carry the weight with them and that, and I just went, and it does make such a fucking difference. The, like, the funny thing is, in training, you're carrying your sleeping bag, a bit of water, and a few bits of clothes. And I remember in training thinking, fucking hell, this is heavy. This, yeah. and then you get to Afghanistan, and all you're carrying is ammunition, and it uh, weighs 10 times as much, and you yeah. realize that's proper weight. Yeah. So it really adds up. So that was alone pretty stressful before even any anything kicked off that day yeah and then the, the ground that, that you're patrolling over it's like I say fields and irrigation ditches and yeah on this particular morning we jumped over already a few ditches and my best mate Ian got to a point when he had to jump over another ditch and it was almost <coughs> in between if you like these mics it was two trees hmm. and he looked at me and he said Andy I'm going to jump here I said yeah mate I'm, I'm right behind you whenever you want to go and I just remember him kind of jumping into the darkness I was the second man just ready to go and I waited for him to kind of leap over the ditch and I was ready to go <coughs> and then I just heard two just huge explosions and then uh, I knew straight away I just thought fuck you know I've been blown up and I fell back and I had all dirt and debris in my eyes and you know some people say they didn't know what happened or you know I knew straight away you know something had went wrong mm. I fell back and I just started screaming straight away I wasn't in any pain to start with, but I knew that, you know, I was in the middle of Afghanistan. The Taliban could have been watching. Um, you know, I didn't know whether I'd fell into the ditch or I'd been blown 100 metres away. And I think it was more scared, screaming, to let the guys know that I was, you know, where I was. Um, you know, it was pitch black as well. You know, I wanted them to come and save me, basically, as quick as they could. Thankfully, I'd only fell back a metre or two. And then the rest of the guys from, from the patrol, you know, ran forward and patched me up. Mm. And um, what about your pal? He'd been blown over the other side of the ditch. That was probably one of the most distressing things about it was because he um, he took a nasty bang to the head. So to this day, he doesn't remember anything about it, mm. which I still give him a bit of stick for now. <laughs> but he um, he just started screaming, and it was it was upsetting to hear him screaming. The lads had to then get over the ditch and then use a metal detectors to get to him in case there was secondary devices. So it took you know a couple of minutes to get to him. And the lads are having to go as quick as they can, but obviously as careful as they can. And just hearing him screaming, that you know, because he didn't know where he was, he was in shock. He broke his leg, he broke his arm. But thankfully, that was enough. I mean, he was still really badly injured, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Without doubt. Eh? And for me, it was a guy here, James Smith. He was an, an army medic. He was attached to the Marines. And he ran forward and realised that I had a big chunk of my thigh missing. Um, so I'd severed my femoral artery. You say you can bleed to death within six minutes if anything happens to that. Thankfully, he realised that, had a tourniquet on straight away. And then another few of the lads around me um, were just patching me up. And I was almost just lying starfished with just guys all around me patching me up and doing everything they could to save my life. And it was um, it took about 40 minutes or so for them to kind of get me as, as stable as they could, get me on a stretcher, took me back to um, a field where the helicopter then come in and picked me up. But I, I remember that whole 40 mm. minutes, perfect. In the pitch black, basically. Right? Basically yeah. in, in a sunrise, sort of. Well, funny enough, I was idle dirt and debris in my eyes, so I couldn't, although I could hear everyone, it's just like me talking to you now, I know you're there and I can sense you're close by and mm. I know your voices. So it was kind of like that, but I just couldn't see anything. Mm. But then after 40 minutes, as I was getting put on the helicopter, I remember feeling, you know, sometimes you can't see, but I know there's a light there. You can, I could tell that it was becoming you know the sun was rising and although I couldn't see her it was um, it was just a strange feeling to know that you can't see anything that's going on but you're in the moment you can mm -hmm. feel it you can smell it you can 
It was, yeah, it was a crazy did, did, morning. Did you feel much pain in your leg at that point? Not not for the first yeah. 10 minutes, and then, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> we had uh, a fella on uh, last week uh, who had injuries to his leg um, through heroin use, and we showed those pictures, and it turned people's stomachs. Yeah. And just to put it, this in perspective, I'll try and have a picture shown of your injury. It puts those to shame. Hey guys, how you doing? Just going to stop the podcast there just for one second to tell you that this episode of the True Jordy podcast is sponsored by BetOnBrazil.com. It's a new betting site for all sports punters with great odds, markets and offers. Listeners to this podcast can now get a free £10 when they deposit £10 just by using the promo code TRUE10, T-R-U-E-1-0. Keep those all in capitals. Just visit BetOnBrazil.com. And enter the promo code TRUE10 when you deposit your £10 and you'll get £10 for free. Also look out for our daily happy hour offers between 5 and 6pm. You can sign up at betonbrazil.com. Over 18s only. Offer is for new customers only. Terms apply. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. The the, the chunk out of your leg is huge. I mean, mm. just un- shocking. It's probably the worst injury I've ever seen. Yeah, Wait, how that someone's lived through. Do you know? What yeah, I mean? how how the leg was still attached. I've got no idea to be honest. It was, and it just goes to it's credit to the lads in the Marines mm. and James, the Army medic, who you know they kept it cool and they saw that. And especially in the pitch black, having to deal with it, and you know I wouldn't be sitting here now if it wasn't for them. You know I owe my life to them, and it was um, the pain. If when I try and describe it to people, if you know the inside of your body, if or maybe your grandparents or your mum or dad grab your leg when you're a kid and you squeeze your thigh. It almost felt like someone had a had a like kind of small area, small surface area in the inside, but really pushed in. But then like a, a thousand ton was on top of it, going on top of a very small surface area in the middle of my thigh. Mm. It's just a deep throb throbbing pain, and again I couldn't see, and I just kept on saying to the lads, "Have I still got my arms and legs?" And they said, "Yeah, Andy, don't worry, you've still got them." And I was like, "Lads, don't fucking lie to me. I was, have I still got my arms and legs?" And he said, yeah, Andy, you know, you've got a bit of a gash in your leg. We're sorting it out, don't worry. And I was like, fuck, there's something really wrong with my right leg. Mm. I know there is. Like, like, And then when they said, we've got a tourniquet on there, I'd, I'd, I'd casivacked guys who'd uh, been injured and, you know, I'd seen that, I'd done the training. I'd seen it all for myself. So I knew if there's a tourniquet on the leg or the limb, you, you're probably going to lose it. And I thought, I've, 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 I must have lost my leg. They're lying to me because why have I got a tourniquet on otherwise? He said, Andy, and shut up. Listen, you're all right. We're sorting you out. And it was just, it was just that, like you call it the black humor, the commando humor. It was just, you know, taking the piss. And we mm-hmm. had a five-a-side football uh, tournament going. Me and Ian, who'd been blown up with top goal scorers in, funnily enough. And <laughs> the lads are just saying, ah, you're not going to be winning the league now, are you? And, um, yeah. and then you jammy bastard, you get to go home early and stuff. And the pain was there, but thankfully the lads were, they put morphine into me, but I don't even think that worked. It was, it was excruciating the pain, but the lads were just doing a good job to speak to me and to try and keep my mind occupied, really. I mean, can we go back to when you joined the Marines, mate? Yeah. I mean, I've been in those recruitment centres before, you know, I thought about it myself, and when you sign up to do something like defend your country, you, you, I personally, when I was looking into it, you know, I had this image of what it would be like, like almost the glory of it, you know what mm. I mean? And to go from that to where you ended up, it wasn't part of the plan, is no. it? It's not what you think about when you no. say, even though you know it's a possibility, 
yeah. it's definitely not in your mind that that will one day happen to you. To be honest, it was sounds really stupid and naive, but I didn't ever think, you know, I'd go to war. Mm. It sounds ridiculous because we were already at war in Iraq and Afghanistan, mm. but I don't know. When I joined, I was going, I was doing A-levels at the time. I was doing English and history at A-level. And I got to the point where I was in sixth form and I was skipping classes just to chat to the girl, you know, in the common room. You know, I was just thinking, my heart's not in this. I'm doing an A-level just to kind of almost please, you know, please my dad almost to say to him, look, I'm going to go to uni and get a degree. And just education at that point wasn't taken for me. And I saw an advert for the, for the Royal Marines and it said 99.99% need not apply. I would say, like, being the cocky 17-year-old at the time, I thought, you know, I'd give that a go. I remember that advert vividly because I think that was one of the adverts that got me. the tunnel and huh? it's, it's like he gets caught underwater yeah. and he's... That, that he's one. drowning and yeah, then the guy yeah. pulls him up. And he yeah. gasps yeah. for, for air. Like, that was yeah. like hook, line and sinker for me. I was like, yeah, I need to give that a go. You know, those lads, <clears> they want to be a part of the elite and, and that's what the Marines are, especially, like, you know, the, the hard bastards. Do you know what I mean? And you You've always been, by what I can tell, even post-injury... <clears throat> You want to push yourself. Yeah. I've always been really competitive. I could never understand how anyone would go into their careers office and someone could say, you know, the Marines are the best and then you've got the parachute regiments and then you've got the Army, then the RAF, then the Navy, whatever order. I could never understand why anyone would need to hear anything else after they say, that's the best one to go for. I mean, I know everyone's different, but for me personally, my kind of competitive nature, once that, that was the longest and hardest training on offer, mm -hmm. I thought, well, you know, you've got to give that a go. How old were you when you went in again? 17. Like, because I, I know lads who, one of my pals, he passed out at 16. And That's I, a tough going, yeah. And yeah, he, he was given a lot of credit for that. He was one of the only lads to do it at that age in so many years or whatever. Yeah. And um, to me, to do that at that age, you're like, you're a baby. Like, mm. when I walk past 17, 16-year-old kids now, because obviously the recognisers that come up for photographs and whatever, they look like kids. To imagine yeah. them going in and holding a gun in the hand and, and fighting for this country, it's it's amazing. To do you know honest, what I mean? I look at myself now and I look at some of the photos and I think, how was I allowed to go and do that type <laughs> thing when I look back now? Uh -huh. it's, um, I think there's, there's pros and cons with joining early. I think physically you find it easier when you join. And I think sometimes mentally as well you can cope a little bit better. You know, I went from well, sixth form, getting used to getting told what to do. So when mm. they were telling me to do press-ups and run here and run there and getting spoken to like, like shit... I was thinking I'm used, kind of used to this mm -hmm. almost. But then when you see fellas maybe 24, 25 joining up who've had jobs, maybe got wives, girlfriends, kids or whatever, and then they join and they're getting told to, you know... They're getting sponsored like shit. I think that. they find that a little bit harder to deal with. Whereas mm -hmm. for me, being a bit younger, you, you kind of just take that, don't you? They say that with some of the football managers as well. They say that's why certain football managers want young players. It's because if you're 24, 25... You've almost gotten into a habit, yeah. like because they're quite formative years. You form your habits in those times. Definitely, yeah. If and, you and get you've got them, a sense of who you are at that point as yeah, well. You're not, if you get you're not them, as mouldable. Exactly. Uh, Whereas if you get them before that, and you get them at seventeen, eighteen, <clears throat> you've got someone who they don't know what the working world's mm -hmm. like. They don't know, mm -hmm. you know, you don't quite know how you're sort of forming that relationship with other guys and yeah. those sort of things. So you can mould that and completely tell them. I, I remember getting paid six hundred pounds my first wage. I was thinking I'm a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and then there's lads there who maybe left 30, 40 grand a year jobs thinking, yeah. what the fuck am I going to do with this? Doesn't mm, even cover yeah. me mortgage or something. So, yeah, it's a big difference. But again, it, it's great for growing up. You know, you learn so much about yourself. I left home 17, 300 miles away and being around fellas who kind of took you under the wing. Yeah. And you learn a lot about yourself very quickly. Is there, is there quite an appeal of that? Because that is <clears> something that I think, uh, you know, a lot of people join the army for is mm. they... A lot of people want to go and live. They want to live a real life. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They want to go and experience something. 
Yeah, I think for me it was just doing something a bit different. I, um, I mean, I, w- I always think one of the inspirations for me joining was I w- always wanted, my, my mum passed away when I was a kid. And I'm not really religious in that sense. I mean, I believe she's looking down on me in some way, in some way and I've always wanted to do her proud. And I think I've always want, I've always felt maybe a little bit different because I was one of the only kids in the school who lost their mum. So mm-hmm. I think feeling a little bit different and wanting to do something a bit different led me down that route to the Marines. And I think, yeah, wanting to go and, like you say, live your life, move away and do something a bit different, go out there and experience different things. I think every it ticked, joining the Marines ticked so many more boxes than, than just being in sixth form for the sake of it. Are you quite a patriotic guy, do you think? Not really, no. Which yeah. is another thing people You're from think Liverpool. Yeah. Liverpool's not a very patriotic it, city. Say, you know, the yeah. Scouts not English and yeah. stuff. It's, um, <laughs> I, I seen a thing with Jamie Carragher, um, um, something, an interview that he's done, and he said, um, I think it was, <coughs> I can't remember what he was with, and I think it's almost like a Newcastle, similar kind of, I think, oh, Scouts, but it's... Um, I could never, I never watch England now. The football team. I don't, in, if you, if someone said to me once, World Cup for England or an FA Cup for Newcastle, I'd yeah. just laugh at them. If someone said to me a World Cup for England or a World Cup for Ivory Coast, I'd go for Ivory Coast. <laughs> you know just, what I mean? Just to see the, the, just to see the difference in it. Ivory, yeah. Ivory Coast. Coast de Bois, as we yeah. call it. Um, <laughs> well, so, all right, so you lost your mum at quite a How old were you when you lost your mother? I was 12. Right, so... That's an extremely hard thing for a young lad to go through. Was that quite in my sudden? Opinion. Was that something quite sudden? She was, um, yeah, she was diagnosed in May with leukemia, and then she passed away in the September. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it was quite sudden. And that's that's one of the things. Now I want to do these kind of motivational talks. Even you know, people think that it's just going to be all about the Marines and getting blown up. But for me, that was, that was by far the hardest thing I've ever been through in my yeah. life, and I think ever will. You know, I was a real mummy's boy as well. I mean, I used to bloody. Mm. I used to go to the corner shop, you know, for, for a pint of milk and I'd say, I love you, mum, see you soon. Yeah. You know, my dad would take the milk, oh, you're only going to shop, what the hell, you know. I've seen your dad get uh, in the interview on the documentary yeah. and he's not a, a moddy coddler type uh, dad by the looks of it, yeah. Uh, he would have been the harder of the two. Yeah. Um, I mean, he always, I remember him saying for years growing up, he always wished he'd died because he, he, he always felt that my mum would have done a better job of bringing us up just because she was a bit more, you know, like, like mums are motherly, yeah. whereas my dad... You know, we're just we're just we're best mates now. We go for a pint, but again, he's not. You know, he's not the type of fellow where you know, hugs and kisses and how oh, you son and all that type thing. Where obviously my mum wasn't. So that mm. was that was the tough thing growing up, being such a mummy's boy. You know, hugs and kisses, love your mums and all that. Then to suddenly have it taken away, and it's a lot of credit to me dad that he's he's done a good job. And I've got two younger sisters as well, and he's you know he's done a really good job bringing us up. I mean, for me, I've lost people close to me before, and one thing death made me feel was like a sense of you can't let time go by without trying to achieve what you want to achieve in life mm. and I feel like may- maybe did you get a sense of that and because some people going at the Marines will be thinking oh god but, but I think when you've experienced death before I think mm. you fear it a little less than the yeah, average 100% yeah it was, it was that thing almost even forgetting about war just getting in the Marines you know mm. that whole thing they'll try and break it and stuff I was thinking Bloody hell, I, I broke quite a lot when I was 12. I was thinking they can't break me anymore. Than oh, well, they did you would have hardened that. a hell of a lot yeah, at that age, so mate. I think that's so that kind of a that kind of feeling of I've been through all this shit. Come on, what else can you throw at me? I think that's definitely helped me like in, in, in later life. What was it like growing up in Liverpool? Like, were you because you, you grew up in Bootle, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Funny thing with that is, I mean, I don't know about you where you grew up, but I loved it. You know, I got all my all my best mates are still from Bootle. And you don't know what you don't know, do you? So like, you grow up and everything's normal. Mm. And I remember watching the other week, um, I think it was Secret Millionaire, where someone goes to an, a rough area or something, 
no one knows he's a secret millionaire and I pressed the little I button on the Sky remote and the information came up the synopsis and it said uh, you know J Richard Jones or whatever visits Bootle one of the most deprived areas in the UK yeah. <laughs> I thought that's where it's portrayed all the time now N knife crime yeah. all these sort of things yeah. and I suppose you know it is rough but for me you know it was home and you know um, I still only live five minutes away from it now I'm still drinking the same pubs and Bootle and stuff and it probably is rough, but for me, it's home. You know, I, I, you know, it's everyone's football mad. You know, red or the blue, everyone. Yeah, you know, all my best mates and family there, so it's um, probably gets a bad image. But when, when it's your home, then it's Liverpool your home. gets a pretty bad media rep anyway, though, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think when you probably go like there, being in the Sangen in Afghanistan, that's like being in the Bootle in Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that was something that really interested me was just the way you talk about being out in Afghanistan, and obviously it's because I think you know when I think of going to another country, I'm like oh, go see the sites, go see this, go see that. And you're talking about the, the terrain and those sort of things. Mm. Do you think, as a Marine, you get a feel for the country or are you quite... Because obviously you're in a base which is fully fortified. You don't necessarily yeah. trust... You don't know who to trust or who not to trust. No, it depends a lot on your job when you're there. I mean, for me, I was static, so we were just in a compound. Uh, so we'd patrol, you know, a few miles out where there was other, um, I don't know, who had, like, strike ops jobs. So they yeah. were going in and out uh, on helos, helicopters going they'd spend a day or two there coming back so I suppose I got a little bit of a feel for the area I was in but you know you're talking a few square miles it wasn't really you wasn't getting when a, you, a, when you were a huge tour. country isn't it yeah. yeah when you were in Iraq um, am I right in thinking you were helping their army um, to sort of learn how to patrol and things like that yeah I mean it was it was really complex to be honest depending on where you were in Iraq for me I was in a place called Unkazar which was on the port and it was real chilled out for me, to be honest. Didn't didn't fire my weapon once, wasn't shot at once. Mm -hmm. And it was basically the Royal Navy were there trying to teach the Iraqi Navy about, you know, better skills and drills, how to basically look after themselves a lot better when, when we were gonna pull out. Mm -hmm. And then there was about 10, 15 Royal Marines there who were acting as basically the bodyguards. We were the force protection troop. So anyway, when there was big meetings with the all the big Royal Navy officers and the Iraqi officers, we just go and basically escort them and Basically, with a gun. basically yeah, yeah, just bodyguarding, which was, you know, I learned a hell of a lot and we got to interact a lot with the people. You know, you talk about like having us having to pull out of that country. Did, did you ever think about the politics of everything when you were signing up? Or, I mean, because for me personally, I, I wouldn't have. Uh, you know, when you talk about the reasons you joined up for the Marines, it, I wouldn't have been thinking of, oh, wait, raw for this reason, that reason. That would have came a lot later in my life. Mm. Did, you, did you ever think about that joining? No, the same. I, I was just like, I want to prove myself as a mm. Royal Marine. I want to get my green beret, you know. Yeah. And there was a few few moments in training when actually I think maybe we'd fucked up and they'd be giving us a bollocking and they'd be going, I don't think you fuckers realise that the day you pass out of here, the week later you'll be on a flight to Afghanistan. And mm -hmm. There's a few times where I thought, bloody hell, actually, yeah, this is, this, is, the this, real is, this is real. But as far as thinking about the reasons why we're there, you can't really do that. You know, it's people get paid a lot more money than I do to, to make these big decisions mm -hmm. and in a way you know you, you just follow orders in that sense and I think you, I'd, personally I didn't think we you know we should know, know what we know now in hindsight we should never have went to Iraq but at the time you know who, who, what am I going to say ring up Tony Blair and say alright so you got <laughs> this, wrong, wrong, this one <laughs> yeah no sorry not this tour mate no no, yeah, no that cunt wouldn't have fucking picked up anyway would he let's be honest um, I don't think he knows how to work a phone but my, um, that, that's what put me off even considering the army I mean there's a lot of stereotypes we had an army recruitment centre that I think every lad in our town went to and I you know my one of my best friends from home was considering joining the army at one time I remember just being like 
what are you doing, mate? Like, why yeah. are you doing this? Mm. Because I remember at the time thinking, I wouldn't want to go to Afghanistan or Iraq. Part of what would demotivate mm. me would be like, I don't feel like I'm defending my country. Like, is, mm. There's a difference between defence and offence. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Being totally, like a yeah. political pawn. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, to be honest, when I was 16 and I was doing A-levels, I think there was times when I had people joining, I was thinking, what are you joining yeah. for? But I think that, and I think a lot of credit of that goes to the Marines because it didn't feel like you were almost just going there to, I felt like, again, it, it sounds really stupid now and really naive, but I didn't feel like I was joining the Marines to go to Afghanistan. I was joining this brotherhood yeah. of... It's an organisation, yeah, isn't it? One of, one of the big things, I went on to meet the Marines Day in Liverpool. And that was the thing for me that really thought, I want to be part of these. It was almost it was almost having a man crush on these lads I met. And they met at the Albert Dock in Liverpool. And they took us to Alcor, which is a, like a range um, just outside of Liverpool. They picked us up on a minibus. And uh, like kind of young, I mean, I'm 17 at the time. And these are young lads, maybe 23, 24, good looking lads, real built. Built, though. And they're talking about being on the piss last night. Got in the, the green fucking berries as well. I think they've been bloody out with birds all night oh. or whatever and you know, they're coming from out of Liverpool coming to town <laughs> in the Marines big lads doing this and then and then they're taking us and and I'm thinking throughout the day I'm developing this man crush on these lads thinking mm. I want to be mates with this fella here. Mm. I want to be I want to be like him and again it was never oh I'm joining to go to Afghanistan it was I want to be a part of this organisation I want to be able to say you know I'm a Royal Marine and you know go around the country like these lads are and have that some, just something about you you know right. you just you, totally you just understand what you mean mate it doesn't that, feel political does it it doesn't no. feel it's it's about being part of that group yeah because we shot we've shot with them i shot with the army the navy not shot with the air force but both of those and both times By shot you don't mean you pulled a gun out with them <laughs> shot shot on camera what, what was funny was when we, when we, finished it, we went to an army base i can't remember where it was but we, we got a whole day inside tanks and all sorts of things mm. and they came up to us afterwards and they, it was a real pleasure shooting with you and i was like oh shoot <laughs> yeah yeah mate, absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah, no problem but mate, you yeah. realize it's a you realize also the mentality in the army they instill you with is you're not a civilian anymore you know we're civvies and you guys yeah, are yeah. the other type and it becomes even more so depending on, on like the army or the marines or the navy. You, they've all got their own particular yeah. things, you know. And I remember being in the marines and in training, they kind of break you down and build you up that they want, and which I think is a great way to do it because their their reason for doing that. Well, one of them I got told was going through training. If if they if they show you, no matter what how basic the task is, if they show you physically show you, then you've got no excuse. No matter how basic it is, mm. they can say. I was there, I showing you how to do it. You know, I, I remember standing there and week one, day one, you go, no, you got a fella, 60 guys, 60 recruits standing there in the shower, watching a, watching a fella have a shower. And you think, I'm bloody 17, all this fella's older than me, thinking, I know, it's a bloody, wash me balls. And then you're getting shown how to literally do everything. No, they themselves. literally pull their cotton balls out and say, yeah. and this yeah. is how you wash your yeah. dick and balls. And, and your man crush is completely gone yeah. then. <laughs> you know? Or for yeah. some, they may yeah. be thinking, yeah. Yeah, can exactly, you rub that a little yeah. more? The Marines is for me, yes. <laughs> Show me that bit again, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think <laughs> it's obviously one of those where it doesn't need to be done, but I think it's more of a mental thing to say, look, you're doing things our way now. It's back to that, yeah. I mean, there's something also quite like very weird about being told how to wash yourself because that's also quite yeah. a personal thing, isn't it? Yeah. That must be such an unusual situation to be in. And the reason is, you know, if you can't look after yourself, if you can't you know, keep yourself clean, keep your kit clean, keep your bedside clean in a nice warm environment where you're eating three meals a day and you're not getting shot at, you know, if you can't do that at the simplest of times... Yeah. You know, you've got no chance when you're in the middle of a desert. And know. is that part of the, you know, when the officers come in and they're screaming in people's faces, that is to train you to be used to the extreme. Because when you are in the real extreme, you will be able to handle it a bit better. 
Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I know. I think there's definitely times where where they are like that at year and, mm. and it is tough. But a lot of the times as well in the Marines anyway, it's I kind of break it down. The first fifteen weeks was just all bullshit, just to try and get rid of you and thinking, you know, how much do you want it? And a lot of the time they they wouldn't even shout. It would just be really calm, like going oh, twenty press ups, go that tree back to me, go. And sometimes they would shout, you know, and it, it would be that kind of getting you wound up. And mm. but then the other times it'd be, look, if you don't want to be here. We don't want you either. Off, yeah, thing. Yeah. So it's that kind did, of. Did you ever balance. see um, any young hard-headed lad just turn on one of the officers and have a go? Any any fight like anyone try and uh, take one on? I've never seen it. No, no, no. I wouldn't try to. Wouldn't be recommended. Like, I mean, it's scary. You obviously, but sometimes you get a seventeen-year-old who, for whatever reasons, just got you know a bomb on his right hand, and you know he could just knock anyone out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, you get so many walks life in the Marines. We had a guy. I always remember him. His name was Rob Andrews, and he was he was a gymnast, mm. small lad. But um, and the, the, the training team used to like make him do uh, like backflips. They'd, they'd like, come on, Rob, come and show us another trick. And this guy had run. <laughs> so the great thing is, you know, you'd get a lot of people in sports mm. and like like a gymnast and people who were really fit lads. And but the good thing about the Marines is, you and no disrespect, I mean, you'd have a lot of banter with the Army and the Navy, calling they're not as good as the Marines and all that. And I'm not in the nicest possible way, not being dis- disrespectful, but in the Marines you get. Bit more, I always thought mature kind of lad who's a bit more educated, a bit more. Well, I remember when I went down um, to the recruitment centre and I gave them my GCSEs, and then fucking somehow I'd had decent GCSEs because I just picked things up like decently. But uh, they said, you know, we would recommend you either be a Royal Marine or an Army officer. Like that would be your starting point. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, why? And they were like, oh, you know, they're pretty much like the you've best. got an A here. Yeah. <laughs> you got an A for English, yeah, yeah. champion. Yeah, you can speak. To be honest, so. I flipped that. I, it was a, it was a descriptive writing exam. I said what it was like the writing an exam. So that's brilliant. Kind of cheating. Yeah, you say it? what oh, you yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah, just have good. to look around. Um, yeah. Inspirational. But you're obviously talking about the physical side of things. Uh, you're obviously very gifted physically to have the the record that you've gone on to have. When you're in training, did you feel like you were one of the better lads, or how did you feel like you fit? Yeah, I thought I was in the. Um, I think again, going back to the age, I was seventeen, so I was quite you know, young and fit. I was playing football, and so it felt quite fit. I was always in the top third of the fitness mm. stuff, but when it comes to um, when it when it went to putting weight on as the train went on, the weight increased. The other thing about the Marines is they don't throw you into the deep end straight away. Now the last week of training, you're expected to run thirty miles, carrying sixty, seventy pounds worth of kit. You know that's not week one, day one. You know you're starting off very progressively. Mm. As the training went on and the Bergens got heavier and heavier, I struggled a bit with that. Some of the kind of lad, lads a bit like you, a bit bigger, struggled, uh, w- was better with the with the long. Yeah, because the, the weight to body Just, ratio yeah. wasn't as uh, sometimes, dramatic. You know, I, I was carrying, I only weighed probably about 65 kilos. I was probably carrying Bergens weighing 50 or something myself. So it was, I think, for the smaller, younger lads, you know, quite nippy. They, what what do they call that final march that they do again? Um, yomp. Aye. Yomp, was that like 30, 30 mile? mile Fucking hell. It's How long so does that much, take? Uh, you get eight hours to do it. It's across Dartmoor, though, so it's all over here. What, what's the tough thing about that is you have four commando tests, and that's the fourth one. So it's you fucked off the previous three. Sort of, you know, yeah, and you're always you've always got that in your head mm-hmm. at that's, the end of that. That's what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. But that's a great day. I mean, I cried like a baby running around that. It was it was the hardest thing I'd done at that point. But then you know, at the end, it's the final one. You're gonna get your green berry. Yeah. How how did you feel when you got that green berry? When you had it in your hand, it's the best feeling. I think I, uh, I was on the coach, coming home like tears and big lump in my throat. You know, ringing my dad and saying, I did know, it. "I've done it." Like it was, um, 
I think just because I'd left home at 17, you know, trying to do my mum proud, trying to do my dad proud. And I didn't want to go back to Liverpool saying... With nothing. Yeah, say, oh, I tried, but, you know, I didn't know. And I'd met people in the pub and stuff before I joined. You know, what dad's like, my dad was like, oh, my dad's joining the Marines. And I'd met a few people who'd said, oh, I was going to join the Marines. Yeah. Or I was or I, I was in the Marines and you'd ask them about it. And they'd say, oh, I got to week 20 and I dropped out. And you think, you weren't really in the Marines then, mate. Yeah. So I didn't want to be one of those one of people. In the pub. And then, then when I got it and, you know, they give you it and you get your Royal Marine Commando flashes that you can show onto your, your camel thing. Yeah, I was like, wow, it was... Uh, yeah, it was emotional, mate. I think just because it, it was nearly a year of my life that it took to get. When you've already been through a bit of hell, like, you know, in, emotionally from losing your mother and then going through all this physical stress mm. and that and getting that reward at the end of it, you can, you can say, I, I've done you proud, man. Do you you realise I mean? how mental it is as uh, well, though, don't you? How, how important it is to have a solid mentality for this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, but I think I my mean, mum there helped my mentality so much over it. You know, I always used to... Um, Again, it sounds a bit of a hypocrite. I'm not religious, but I always remember just doing that sign of the cross and just saying, right, come on, mum, like, help me help me through this and stuff. And I having that, I think, going through that at a young age helped definitely help me help me become mentally stronger. And uh, when I did get the knockbacks and setbacks and, you know, things like that, it was, again, going back to what we said before, it was like, listen, all right, I'm, you might have knocked a little chink out of me, but I've been broken a lot more mm. before today. Mm. So. Having, having a mother, though, who, like, who loved you as much as obviously she did, that love doesn't leave you. It's like, yeah, it stays yeah. with you. So like, even when obviously she, her physical body left this like earth and all that, like you're mm. still, you still got that. It doesn't ever yeah. leave you. So when you're in that pain of the, the commando training center and you're going through everything, that's still there. Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? hundred percent. I always think, uh, I was thinking like the love she's shown me in those 12 years was enough to last me a lifetime. million percent. Right. You know, and it was, uh, you know, I think about it all the time now, you know, when I've done this run just lately, you know, most days, you know, you think about it and stuff. So it was, um, it was nice to, to be able to think. Mm. And for my dad as well, you know, my dad got dealt a, a pretty shit hand, um, you know, because it was out the blue, you know, she never, she never, mm. it, was, it was leukemia. It's just no one really had an answer for it. So I think for my dad, you know, for him to have and then and he's a fireman he's like again he's like a proper blog yeah, you, you could know. tell that on the document I remember thinking to myself like because uh, I feel like I'm a, like a sort of bloke who'd have a pint with that man in the pub you yeah, know I yeah. thought fuck me if I'd been in his situation yeah yeah. he's quite quite a quiet fellow just you know kind of drinks like old, like in boot like the old man's pub right? you know just those pubs where, which you know are kind of dying out now sadly but you know you, you go there and you I just felt so sorry for him you know, having to bring up two little girls as well, you know, doing bloody ponytails with them and stuff. And he, I'm thinking, bloody hell, dad. You know. I can't even imagine nah, him because, yeah. like, after seeing him, like, he's doing so, yeah. like ponytails and stuff. So, to, to get to that point where I thought, you know, whatever I've done now or go on to do, at least I know now I've kind of, he's done a good job of raising me that he's raised yeah. it, you know, he's raised the Marine, if you like. So, mm. it's a big thing for me. So, what happens after that? Because obviously, after you lose your leg, mm. That must be quite for someone who's even going from the point of the accident to losing the leg was quite a long and drawn out thing, wasn't you, it? How do you, you didn't happen How do you how do you refer to it? You call it losing a leg. What do you what do you say? The Marines have do they? Leg, uh, yeah, I always think it's funny. There's no right way. Like when someone says an accident, I think the telephone bloody meant to do it. It wasn't an accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what horrible! Oh well, they yeah. shouldn't have left that there, should they? Yeah. <laughs> What are they doing, leaving their bombs about? I've not, not heard anyone say, yeah, it was a good job. I was telebombs on a good job. <laughs> I mean, you joke about it, but well, they, the it, for them, that probably is also something that's quite important. You know, there's, they are getting hits on 
Marines and people like that at that time. Yeah, I mean, they weren't, you know, you know the sign of a really successful team, whether it's in business or in sport or the military, is, is being able to adapt. And they realised that they could never win in a straight firefight with us. We were better trained, had better weaponry. So they just switched tactics and started laying IEDs everywhere. And, you know, it's just like a lottery. You know, I've got friends who are some of the best soldiers in the world who've been killed and have been injured. Because, you know, it's, you know, what can you do? You can't really defend against it. And unfortunately, that was, that was what became their weapon of choice. Did, did you, when you were at war, did you see any uh, lads lose their life? So one of my best friends, um, another scout, so we lost one lad. How we only lost one lad on that tour, I've got no idea. We had probably lost about bloody 10 limbs on that tour, but mm. we only had one lad, one lad who lost his life. And it was a really weird one. Um, it was two weeks after I was injured, so it must have been around about the 20th of February or something. And previous to this, about a couple of months before, I had a, a friend who got shot in the neck, survived, don't ask me how, I'll try and get the photo for you, it's a crazy photo, and he literally shot in the neck, took a big chunk out, um, but thankfully survived, and he literally just had a bandage on his neck, and just walked back to the helicopter, went back to the UK for a few weeks, come back and survived, went back out, had a great big scar on his neck, probably gets him loads more beds now, and you know, <laughs> jobs are good, <laughs> and so then months later, I get injured, and then, uh, I hear news that one of the lads has been shot. It, it got shot in the neck. Straight away you think, oh, is, he, is he dead? But then I thought, hang on, me mate Rob's been shot in the neck. It's, you know, it, it could be. It hurts you know. either way. And um, I, asked, I asked the nurse, I said, I believe one of my friends is coming in. Uh, Mick Lasky, his name was. And she said, how oh, do you know? Yeah, he, he's coming in, but he's going into straight to intensive care, you know. Mm -hmm. And she said, how well do you know Mick? And I said, yeah, you know, there's two scousers in, in our him in our base in Afghanistan so we always had a good laugh and you know good friends with him and I went down to see him and for him it, you know he wasn't as lucky as Robert it went through his neck and it um, severed the wrong the wrong things and he was basically alive but brain damaged and they'd kept him alive basically to turn the machines off mm -hmm. with um, with his with, with his family around him and he Mick had actually lost his mum in the summer so I'm um, looking at this we got to go down and it was such a weird feeling because I was there, Ian, who had been blown up, it was there, and my mate Johnny. Johnny had lost an arm and a leg. So there's me, bandaged head to toe with this big cage on my leg. Mm. Ian, bandaged head to toe. Johnny missing an arm and a leg. And they let us go down to see Mick. And, you know, he was lying there completely fine. He just, his, his chin looked a bit swollen. And I'm thinking, I was this fair, you know, I've been blown up. He's lost an arm and a leg. Yeah. You know, we're all, you know, bits here mm -hmm. and there. And yet we're alive, and just mm -hmm. one little a millimeter scar, yeah. And 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 he was um, he was dead, and his they 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 had to turn the machines off when he, when his family was around, and so that was the one guy we lost, and yeah. that was tough to go through to see that because it was just so um, so unlucky, you know. You think, and then that's when you start maybe the political thing that I never thought of before. You start thinking, why is this even happening? Mm. And, um, but you must be obviously you've got a lot of time on your hands you're lying in a hospital bed your brain must go into a lot of places at that point of asking why this and why that did it yeah oh definitely yeah I think um, it only does that though I think when you go through those hard times mm. you know I never ever on the days when we had firefights with the Taliban and you know we got a few of them and we all came back safe no one really thought it's a great day you know we've not everyone's still alive and kicking but on those days when things don't go right that's when you start questioning things 
and that's when you need to really come together I think is that's why I feel really lucky that the injuries that I had as severe as they were I was surrounded by Ian who had been blown up with and his family and my family I had guys all around in the ward you could bounce off so when you had those dark days and you started questioning the why and this is bullshit and all that kind of stuff you had guys there to say you know come on and they'd pull you through the dark days and you pull them through theirs and I think that's that's the, the big the thing one thing that hit me and I mean it's kind of a little bit like this in the job I did before YouTube which I worked as a diver um, like offshore and that and it's that sort of when things do go wrong you got that banter and it's mm. like that dark humour but yeah. you at the worst time if you can have a bit crack it just lifts everyone's spirits yeah. and I feel like in the army and the navy and everything like they're the best for that mm. do you know what I mean yeah it can be relentless at times but it's, it's what you need you know yeah. Um, you know yeah straight away though I think the quicker it gets done and, and, and sometimes the you know as close to the as edgy as you can get it that, that, that's what you need and mm-hmm. you know, the amount of jokes and what lads are doing with the prosthetic legs especially going through rehab and you're getting your prosthetic legs and stuff and lads are getting prosthetics arms and grabbing grabbing, grabbing people's asses and stuff <laughs> when they're out on a night out and mm-hmm. you know all those jokes and stuff that come later on just massively helped and the joke I always had with Ian who I got blown up with he took a nasty bang to the head so he didn't remember anything and he woke up from his coma a couple of days before me he's got all his family around him and I wake up got my dad there has a good cry with my dad and then I looked at him and I said um, my dad said look who's next to you so I turned and Ian was in the bed next to me and Ian says mate you know, what happened there I don't remember I remember going to sleep the night before I wake up and, and I'm here he said I've been waiting for you to wake up so you can tell me what happened I'm looking at him going do you really not remember what happened he said no I've not got a clue I said you got us fucking blown up by jumping over that ditch <laughs> and straight away he's like did I and I was like fucking yeah you did yeah, yeah. and um, so straight away you know it just stopped any kind of right. oh you know what what are we oh god let's feel sorry for ourselves and, mm-hmm. and then that was it then just the banter flowing and I had a, a tube down my throat so when I was in a coma so when they took that out I couldn't I couldn't breathe I couldn't speak properly my vo- voice was really croaky mm-hmm. and Ian's saying mate I can't hear your scouse accent was bad enough anyway <laughs> never mind now what are you saying and, so just just all that it, mm-hmm. it just helps with the helps with the recovery because obviously some people I mean, it's sad, but like some people do get um, post-traumatic stress and things mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, a lot of people, well, you hear the stories a lot where people leave um, the, the armed forces and years after sometimes they're still having nightmares and dream, bad mm-hmm. dreams and things that, and just struggling. Um, but you seem to have dealt with everything really well, considering. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've still had times where I've... Um yeah you know I've felt it and it's it's not been easy and stuff but I, I think in general just opening up and speaking about things has, has massively helped me whether it's been to my family or friends and then since getting into the motivational speaking I, I always think like I talk about it pretty much every day now so it, I don't it, 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 I don't really put it in a box and put it anywhere and never open it because mm. it's getting opened all the time and getting openly spoken about like today so I think I mean obviously no one knows what triggers PTSD or anything like that but for me I think always talking about it from very early on has, has massively helped and having having guys around to talk to me like thankfully I'm really good friends with Ian still who we got injured with me and him speak about that day you know yeah. whenever and we still speak all the time and again I, I wish there was a right answer that people, if people opened up and then it would all go away and I know it's not as easy as that but I can only speak from my experience and I'd encourage people to open up and speak about it and don't let it fester away 
Uh, again, that's not to say I've not had dark times and I don't miss the Marines and I don't, you know, wish things were different sometimes. But mm. like you say, you got one life, you know, you've got to go and get on with things and and you know seek help. And then once you've got that help, you know, use that and then push on to the next thing then and, and try not to focus on the negatives and you know try and push on. And luckily enough, I've not really had any experience with PTSD myself personally. Do you have any um like what was struck me was the way you talk about it it's a very individual level so you've got you've got your own experience there the army is often a concept for many people that Afghanistan I don't you know Afghanistan's a concept Iraq's a concept these are all things that we don't like, you don't hear really about them on the news them. but yeah, exactly you, uh, and you and you see a little bit of footage and then it's like today da, 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 and but then that, it's but, on to the next subject but that for footage a lot of looks ex- like I wouldn't know the difference between terrain in Iraq and terrain in Afghanistan I wouldn't know yeah. the difference. you know it's all you know looks very similar mm. my my first memory of conflict is uh, what happened in Kosovo so the first thing I remember on the news was in like 96, 97 people talking about the tanks and that felt a little bit closer but Iraq and Afghanistan mm. from a very long way away and what strikes me is when you're talking about things like the Taliban as well those are people who I imagine if they were in England would be part of the army mm. yeah possibly you know yeah. I mean? because yeah. And you realise they're, they're people on that side who have got their own ideology, yeah. whether they're right or wrong, you know, you don't want to get into yeah, those, yeah. those sort of details, but... Fighting for the cause. They're so. fighting for what they believe yeah. is a cause, and they're sort of indoctrinated mm. in the same way as mm, we have yeah. our side. Do you ever do you ever think about that side of war, the people you're fighting against? Because, you know, you're talking about being <clears> in firefights <throat> with people. Yeah. You could almost look the guy it's, in the eye sometimes. That's what's funny when you, you speak to people about Afghanistan and no one kind of... It's got a clue what it's like. I don't yeah. think. I think Ross Kemp's done a decent program, and I thought that was quite realistic, to be honest. Mm. But when you see on the news, it doesn't really paint a picture. One thing that always I found, I, I do this kind of thing in the presentations that I do, and the craziest thing for me on the on a daily basis, and, and my interactions with the Taliban, was we would have an interpreter with us yeah. who would basically listen into what the Taliban was saying on radios, and then relay the message back to us. So I've been in Afghanistan a week or so. And we're on top of a compound roof, and I think there's um, eight of us on this roof. You're looking out, you see the odd goat walking by, the odd farmer, really eerie silence, 10 o'clock in the morning, bacon hot day, nothing going on. And then this interpreter shouted up and said, lads, just to let you know, the Taliban are talking, and they can see eight people sitting on the roof. And you kind of have one of these moments where you kind of like... That's... Yeah. There's, a, there's eight of us on this roof, lads. I've shit me so then. And you're looking around, there's no one there. Uh-huh. And then, you know, 10 minutes or so passes and then the interpreter says, lads, just to let you know, the plan is once you all get down and you're in the open that, in the middle of that open field, that's when they're going to kind of shoot at you. And he's giving you a running commentary of what the enemy are going to do until eventually you go down and it, and it happens. And I think in some ways, you know, you've got to respect the Taliban in that sense that they, you know, as a fighter in the sense that they're doing what they can with mm. what resources they've got in that sense but and like you say if if they're fighting for a cause no matter how crazy it is you know that's what that's what they're fighting for it was just for me on the ground there it was just crazy to think that that's how you know the firefights were happening like you say Kosovo or World War 1 and 2 the different ways people have shot at each other if you like do you know what I mean whereas mm. this one I found I'm sitting on top of this compound and then as I go from that next compound there's a good chance that as we're walking across that open field we're going to get shot at. So what do you do when you hear that? Because obviously you guys are, you think in strategy. Mm. Are you talking to each other and saying, you make a plan at that point? Because do, do you well, have to cross that open field? That, or that, that, a lot sure, of the time it was something called, we used to call advance to ambush because of the rules of engagement. A lot of the time you couldn't shoot at them. And there were so many ticks in the boxes you need to have before you could engage with them. 
So a lot of the time it was kind of walking until they engage with you. So it was kind of saying, right, come on, start shooting at us so we can yeah. kind of take it to you. Which is crazy, really. Yeah. To think like Ridiculous. Yeah. the bureaucracy of you going, yeah. and they shot, brilliant, and we go. Do you know, there's something yeah, so yeah, weird. Yeah. You'd be that. really good at that job of ticking the box. No, I think you'd be I'm, brilliant I'm at that. I'm bad at box tick. I hate <laughs> pencil pushing. Yeah. Get you to the front, get you to run out, then you can draw in the shot. Right, yeah, guys. I'm, no, I'm very quick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so are you so, making a plan or like what's the idea at that point? Well, so yeah, I mean, there's always a plan, you know, and thankfully I've always had really good bosses and corporals and sergeants that you know I trusted and followed and you know you're thinking about it as well and you know you the objective of the day you've got to try and do the objective no matter where the Taliban are and what they're doing that's got to be almost a bit of a okay you know they're there but you can't let that affect your whole mission because you know do you know when you get the objective for the day mate do you get a, the the fellow in charge is just basically telling you the rundown of what's got to happen in that day when you're watching on the movies and all that it's you know, we won't go dying into the night. Yeah. <laughs> we will not go down. Like it's no. not like that at all, is it? It's no. it's so. Or is it? It might be. You never know. Right, right. Like, no, no, we. I mean, if you want yeah. to make it out of like that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want me but, to? Yeah, no. do two versions. But, yeah. but it is just. It's quite chilled out compared to the way it's made out to be, isn't it? Yeah, In I mean, a lot sense. of the time you'll have orders the day before, <clears> so you know it's you're not all hyped up and geared up because it's the day before anyway. So mm. you just get your orders. You know what you're gonna do. You've you've prepped, and then. Yeah, I think there's this kind of um, that the Americans really like woo oh, every yeah. time and all that. Whereas for us, no, nah, it was never any of that. I mean, just the Americans like they make everything a movie, don't they? Like I can't. They I, feel like they live in a movie a the, lot. Of them. The the only thing that I've ever seen which really struck me as in a war movie because I watched quite a few war movies mm. for for my degree. That was the closest I ever got to war. Um, <laughs> Close enough, isn't it? What was the What was the movie? There was a guy who was embedded. It was a one-word movie. It was like Invictus or something like that. And it, the you realise how different Americans are and how differently they see the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. And there's one scene in that movie where there's a guy who's been blown clean in half mm. and they've got his top half and they've got his bottom half. And it's just all to see on camera. And I'd never seen anything like that before. Mm. This guy, like, And you think of it like quite clean. Do you mm. know what I mean? Mm. You realise how dirty it is, just everything just hanging out of him. Mm. And they're still being American about it, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. What were they celebrating? Do you mean? No, not celebrating. Like it, it was one yeah. of their own. It was one of their own guys. Oh, right, yeah. But it looks like it's such a different approach than oh, right. you imagine an English person would approach it. Yeah, I never dealt with them. Um, in Af- I dealt with them. I was on the same camp with them in Iraq, but again, nothing really happened in Iraq. In Afghanistan, I remember one time we'd found a bomb factory. We'd literally stumbled across this bomb factory, and then we tried to get EOD in to blow it up, but we needed to use the Americans. So a few of us went back to the our base that where the helicopter was going to land, so we so we could escort, escort these Americans to where the bomb factory was. And they all put their hamburgers down. And, they, and <laughs> well, this guy, it's a joke. this guy literally didn't have a helmet on, and I said, "Mate, you want to put your helmet on?" And he's like, "No, nah, man, no, we trust you guys. You know, you look after us." And I was like, "No, nah, mate, you you might want to put your helmet on now." And he was just so kind of blasé, blasé about it, and I'm thinking like. This is, you know, did, did he put his helmet on? Yeah, I think my boss made him. Okay, you know, yeah. I think we got outside the gate and it was on the radio. What the fuck's he doing? Yeah, mate, you need to put your helmet on now. So, Stop the podcast just there for one second. This episode of the True Geordie podcast is sponsored by betonbrazil.com. It's the new betting site for all sports punters with great odds, markets and offers. 
Listeners to this podcast can now get a free £10 when they deposit their £10 just by using the promo code TRUE10, T-R-U-E-1-0. Just visit betonbrazil.com and enter the promo code TRUE10 when you deposit your £10 and you'll get £10 free. Also look out for our daily happy hour offers between 5 and 6pm. You can sign up at betonbrazil.com. Over 18s only. Offer is for new customers only. Terms apply. Betting should be fun. So please gamble responsibly. And it, it, it all depends on what area you're in as well. You know, it, there's different objectives and tactics depending on where you are and stuff. And the one thing I, I kind of got from Afghanistan really early, which I try and bring it back to, I think we all go through things in life where you should try and take as many lessons from as you can. Mm. And the one thing from the firefights I learned was having the Taliban, you know, look at you and they could see you and you couldn't do anything about it. Mm. You know, it's like life sometimes, you know, you can't, you know, control the controllables. There's no point. I used to waste so much time and energy worrying about what if, what could happen. Or, you know, are they they're hiding in, are they in that bush over there? Are they behind that tree? Are they in this ditch? Are they going to shoot from the left or the right? And, you, you know, you'd spend two hours sitting on this compound before you get down off the ditch with all these made-up scenarios in your head mm. of how you're going to die and who's going to die and who's going to... And actually, a lot of the time, it would never, ever be as bad as that. And I think, you know, we do that in life. You know, it could be a dentist appointment. It could be... You know, you've argued with a pal of yours and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to see him in the pub and I next see him. And you, you build things up so much. A lot of the time, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. And that's one thing I try and stress when I when I go into my workshops and talks, that, you know, control the controllables, you know, be as best prepared as you can be. But if you can't do anything about it, then, then don't stress about it. Don't mm. sweat it, you know. It's like public speaking in general. I've done quite a bit of that and, like... You know, a lot of people, when you stand up in front of a crowd of people and everyone, it's funny because we can talk in a conversation like this, but the minute there's more than 10 or 15 people who are all looking at you at the same time, you just, you feel your chest tightening up a little bit. The first few times you do it, especially, and like, you just have to relax and just realise, yeah. you know, what's the worst, totally. what is the worst thing that can happen in this situation and how likely is that to happen? But You're I'll, not going to get shot at. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. The thing is, when, when it got shot at again, a lot of the time, you know, we would... Um, you'd, have, you'd have to be really, you know, have a bad day at the office. A lot of the time, we, we'd overcome them. So it was that thing, you know. Generally, what is the worst that could happen? You know, it, well, when you've uh, been through bad situations like you have, and from my experiences in life, where I've had anything happen to me before, I always think about that and think, I'm not, that's not going to happen to us today. So you know, mm-hmm. this is this is quite easy moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure yeah. that you have that. If you're doing a, a speech or whatever, you think, well, I'm not getting shot at today. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. Like, what's the big deal? So Do relative. you know what I mean? Gives you a lot of confidence when you've overcome things, and obviously, you've overcome more than most, mate. I always say that you know when you when you're talking about uh, developing resilience, I think people don't always give themselves enough credit that of what they have been through, and they'll say, "Oh, I'm trying to get over this, and it's really struggling." You think, well, you know, you might have had a really hard life anyway. Look at all the things you have overcome in your past. You know, mm. look at them. Look how strong you've been to overcome them. You're actually a lot stronger than you are, and I think a lot of the time people don't give themselves credit for just how resilient they are. That's a bit of an English thing to do, though, isn't it? Because like, we're, we're sort of uh, we're wary of giving ourselves too much credit in case we get a big ego. Mm. So often we do the opposite, which is give ourselves no credit for what we've done. Yeah. Do you know it's so I mean? important to give yourself a pat on the back and say, actually, you know what, I've I've come through that okay. And, and just get that confidence that it gives you for the next challenge and the next problem mm. or adversity you're going to face. That actually, you know what, I'm better placed to, to overcome this. How much contact do you have when you're out there with uh, home life? 
Like, do you guys have, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram? No, we you're not Instagramming, no. you know, there's the yeah. tail button, you know? But, um, yeah. you know, here's the plan for tomorrow. <laughs> just gonna, but you know what I mean? Oh, only you would ask that fucking question. No, yeah. obviously, that's a joke. But you know, how much how much contact it. do you have with it's home? Like, you, bingos, yeah, it? yeah, exactly, yeah. Got yeah. him. But, like, you know, do you, do you, you know, are you yeah, Facebooking I, with friends at home and sort of being like, oh, just nipping out? For- no, in Afghanistan, we never had no Facebook or nothing. We used to have these things called uh, eBlueys. So they would, um, oh, yeah, you would that. type them up on the, this little crappy computer and then it'd go as, I think, a, I think it would get as an email or something. Or yeah. It'd get printed off as like a bit of a letter or something. And you get right. them and you'd allow, I think it was half an hour a week, you could ring home wow. on a satellite phone. But at the time, I never had a girlfriend, so it was just ringing me dad, really. And a couple of my mates, that was it. So it was, that's what I feel again. You talk about the older lads who joined the Marines when they've got, you know, wives right. and kids and stuff. Yeah. And you, you think you might have a wife and three or four kids and you've got half an hour a week. It's a single it's, man's game, the forces. Yeah, if, I, it helps if you're all that, I would say. I think so, yeah. I always said I wouldn't have liked to have stayed in if I had a wife and kids because, yeah. you know, it is a long time away. and mm. It's a lot of strain on families. Like, you've got yeah. to appreciate what they're going through. I mean... One thing I was wondering, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people who've never done this before wonder, you know, you know when you're you've got you're holding your gun and you're in the middle of a firefight. When you first when you first did that, did you hesitate at all, or did it ever go through your mind of fucking hell? I'm actually shooting at someone here. How did that feel? Not really, no, because again, it's not like probably ninety nine percent of what maybe you're thinking or people think. It's well in Afghanistan anyway. A lot of the time, it wasn't as if you were looking at someone. You'd see basically maybe the base of a tree or a bush or a, mm. a ditch and you'd see kind of flashes coming from it and you'd hear the you know hear it flying over your head mm. and you'd see a spark and you just try and pepper that area mm. it's not as if you're looking at someone really close now shooting them yeah. so it's not that i think sometimes in the movies you think don't you you're looking at someone and it's it's that kind of should i shoot them or not whereas in afghanistan you know you're getting you know, you're maybe sitting underneath a tree and there's branches falling on your head because they're shooting at you and you know they're kind of there. You just fire them back at them then. So it's, it didn't really hesitate and it's not... Um, and by that point, you'd been trained so much that... Yeah, I think once, once, they, once they start firing, all the adrenaline kicks in, all the training kicks in, and you start communicating to the guy to the left and to the right mm. and it all just becomes, you know, like you're on a roller coaster. It's second nature. And I guess that's why, you know, you do all your training for it for those moments when it, when it does need to kick in. So... I think, and, the, and if you do hesitate, you know, we well, could it, die. Exactly. Basically. Yeah, well, yeah. Exactly. The bottom line is, if it's going to be you or me, mate, it's not going to be fucking me yeah. today. Like that's what I'm going to be thinking at that point. Yeah. You are quite a big target, though. So. I mean, I wouldn't have yeah. been the, the <laughs> no. best hider. Yeah, yeah. yeah hide yeah, and seek champion in 2017. That's an unusually sized bush <laughs> for Afghanistan. <Just> fucking <laughs> dresses in a fucking bear suit and hope that they think I'm wildlife. <laughs> is yeah, that the, a the, the dogs are really big out there. You know? Fuck me, I'm sound champion. Just, yeah. The dogs are huge. I saw one and they, they cut the ears off the dog, and this dog, big white thing, was lying there. And I swear to God, it looked like a polar bear. Yeah, yeah. It was. Me. It was huge. And do you are you ever grateful? I know it sounds unusual. Are you ever grateful that you were out in the middle of the countryside and you weren't in a city environment where you had to engage people much closer? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. We had another company. It was more in like the uh, the district. The district centre sang in DC, and a lot of it, it was a lot more people, and you're a lot more wary, thinking yeah. are they enemy, are they the good mm. guys, bad guys? Whereas us, like you say, you're across farmers' fields and stuff. So, I guess there's pros and cons to both. But I don't think I would have been, I would have liked being in that built-up area of, you know, we've done a few uh, vehicle vehicle patrols, 
and you're going down these little alleyways and you think anyone could just jump out any second yeah. and that they were a lot scarier for me personally than, than being out in the big open field that you can see yeah. yeah do you know when you went out on the piss with the marines and that <clears throat> but you had some fucking belter nights out of them lot. Probably can't tell any of them stories. Nah, tell them. <laughs> this this kind of show, that's what it's for. Yeah. Oh, nah, I mean, just, again, that, that's what I miss about it. Just, the lads are just, the lads are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. You know, just the funniest, craziest, lovable rogues you'll ever meet Because in, in that in that environment, it, it's sort of, um, it's quite extreme personalities <clears throat> that are drawn to do that for a living. Mm -hmm. So, nights out with them tend to be equally extreme. Yeah, lads are... Well, lads are crazy yeah, I know I've got, I've got one mate who um, he woke up one morning and there was a, there was a, a shit on his car <laughs> and he'd come home and he just decided to stand on his own car and just do his shit on <laughs> woke up the next morning he's like there's a fucking human shit on my roof and you know so just, just the lads are just uh, and it is your own so there's a plus <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. when go. it comes yeah. to nights out as well when women here you're a marine it doesn't do you any harm either, does it? You probably go in one camp or the other. It's probably like you either hear you're the you're a marine, you think yes, or you hear you're a marine, you're like, no. Yeah, there's. Yeah. I've I've done it. I've got a girlfriend now, but I've done it in the past when you've um, maybe the girl you're chatting to, she's she's had an experience of a marine, and then it's like, no, I'm not going anywhere yeah, exactly. <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, I think the thing is the thing about the marines, um, you've just got something about you. I think straight away yeah. you've just, I I've always say, I always joke and say um, that. Bloody hell, when I joined the Marines, I was a skinhead, really spotty, um, dead skinny, and and since I've since I've lost my leg, grew my hair, grew a beard, lost my leg, and then you've got that something about you. I've probably had, had more luck since I got injured. If you like, <laughs> you're a cultured but, guy now, as they say. Yeah, yeah. But I think just in the Marines, you know, it, when you when you're out on the pitch, the lads, it's you just got that. You know, you just feel like you you just got something about you, and when you you don't feel nervous, maybe chatting to girls or. Yeah, it's just it's just a going back to when I first met those two lads. You just feel like you're part of something, whether it's a night out or in Afghanistan. Your confidence just, grew as well as yeah. as you went through all of that process. I would imagine. Yeah. So talking to women, a lot of men be like, "Oh, and I'm a bit intimidated." But after you've been through all that, it's like, what's what's a no from a woman? Like it's fuck all, is it? Yeah, it depends how beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, as well, a lot of lads will say that they're not in the Marines, <clears throat> so they'll they'll say something else. And they, yeah. so like dolphin trainers, that's always a good one. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or underwater ninja fighters and stuff, you know, just create and just uh, just having that banter. Yeah. I think because you, there's no women allowed in the Marines as well, so it's just men. So because you, you got to be quite quick with mm -hmm. it as well, and you got to yeah. have decent banter to be able to take it and give it. So then when you're out on the piss, do you think that's? I mean, without getting too, do, do you think that's part of the appeal though as well? Because um, I think it's changed women. You gotta like, say. do you think for, if I'm if I'm signing up and they're like, oh, the women aren't allowed in the, in the Marines, sort of thing. If anything, it just makes it seem a bit more prestigious. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, it yeah. adds to it from a, from an alpha male mm. side of things. But yeah. it's changing now, though. Is it? I think. Well, fuck. Not that anyone <laughs> has, or maybe I don't know, but yeah. I think they were. Um, I think everyone's got a bit PC now. Everyone yeah. has it, so I think women what, are. So one of my mates was a navy diver, and he he trained. Uh, They've got to be super fit, though. Yeah, guys. yeah. He was a fucking animal. This cunt. And, yeah. um, he trained the lads as well at one point, and uh, basically there was a woman coming. She'd like, I think she'd done the commando training level or mm. whatever. She tried. Uh, she's on the on a journey to prove how fucking fit she was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she was coming to pass out as a navy diver, and apparently his gaffer said to him, "She doesn't fucking pass today." <laughs> really? And, uh, yeah. Oh, aye. So me mate, uh, 
I've known him years and that he, he said to all the other lads who are trying out while she was off in the women's changing rooms getting ready and that he was like lads I'm going to fucking beast you today and they were like it's alright we don't want to be on the course I passed out with a woman anyway right yeah, well, wow. um, so they like he literally fucking annihilated her until she quit they, they do a thing with that with the marines so if, if you want to um if you want to work with the Marines, you need to invent your green berry so you can get people from the army mm. who can do what's called a commando course. And in some ways, I think, I mean, you could argue, say, they only get six weeks of it rather than 32, but in some ways, that it, then six weeks is sometimes a little bit harder because the Marines who are taking it have got that attitude and you think, you know, you want to be part of our club, then yeah. I'll, I'll Good luck. you. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's that kind of attitude. Oh, that was kind of what he had. Uh... It's also sort of a logistical thing. Like, you know, if, you, if you've got a group of all men, the likelihood is there's very little sexual tension there between a lot of those guys. You know what I mean? If you mix the, se- I like how you no. use very little. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you never know. Like, you know, everyone of- thinks all the again because of that banter and because you're all so you know you live with each other all the time. Most people would think the Marines are all everyone was gay just because. I, just I wouldn't have thought that. Even, uh, even if I did think it, I'd never say it to a Marine. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but uh, well, you, you need to meet some of my mates. Buddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but what I mean is, uh, you know, if, you, if you're mixing the sexes and you're in Af- Afghanistan and, you know, you, yeah. you sort of want that focus. It's almost like going to an all-boys school. Do you know what I mean? It, there's no thought about the other side yeah. or an all-girls school. It's only just come out recently and on my Facebook, all the lads, and, you know, it's very. It's not me being sexist, but it's very much, you know, you, the Royal Marines is built on over 350 years of just being one way. And, you know, you've got even little things, you know, you've just everything so about this it. is only it's just being talked about now I think it's like literally the last few months that they've uh, said that they may they may let them in so these your... liberal elites forcing us <laughs> these down these crooks. I cannot believe uh, these people so so this is in a lot of chats between you and your mates saying yeah, should it happen or should it yeah uh, and, I, and I think there's a part of me that thinks listen if a woman is fit enough and she can go and do it then you know who's anyone to say no but yeah. for me personally just being in the Marines it would just change the dynamics so much. Well, it, of, naturally, it's going to change yeah. the dynamics, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, I, I would think, you be how about, how about for a this? female? How about this? I've got a solution of the marine. That's a different. Mixing them is very different to having yeah. like a female. I, I just don't marines. think it would work mixing if they were going to do some sort yeah. of a, a female marines. Yeah. So if they want to have a their marines. Own... <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Put that on your Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could think a logo. We've got people there who could do that. Yeah. No problem. Sure. Um, Somewhat, yeah. I mean, you laugh, but like we've had pizza boxes mocked up with his face on over the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so, as that's as hard as his day gets is having to look at his face on a pizza box. All right, and retweet it. Yeah, and retweet it. That's his biggest moral <laughs> dilemma. It's gotten a lot day, easier since right? I stopped diving. It's fair yeah, to say yeah. that. Um, yeah. But yeah, why? Yeah, but the thing is, I don't think you should ever. If someone's fit enough and they want to fight for our country, put a fucking gun in the hand by all means. But like, if 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 there's an organisation that's been setting its ways for three hundred plus years. To want to change that now, it is a massive change. So why not just give them their own version? Do you know what I mean? Mm, Let yeah. them do the like same. Like the PGA Tour. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Like the tennis one and that, you know? Yeah, like, but they should always I don't know what will happen, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah seeing that, there's, I don't know what will happen. I think they have said now people can go for it, but I've not heard yet about any women going forward for it. And stuff. So, yeah, it'd be an interesting one what happens. There's something the quite funny months. about the army, isn't it? Because a lot of jobs nowadays are not, you know, like we, we work in the creative industries. That's something that if... You know, like a um, a Mad Max scenario came around. We're not all still going to be uploading to YouTube. Do you know what I mean? But the the Marines, the Army, the Navy is about life and death, and is it feels like it's sort of shaping the world in a way. Do you know mm. what I mean? So there's a very different discussion to it. You know, giving women equal pay in the workplace, back in an office to 
getting women and men equality in a place where you could live or die. And mm. It seems a lot closer to. I had, a, I had a moment where, so when you're diving, you have one man in the water and another man on standby who, if anything goes wrong, he's kitted up and ready to go in mm. and, and pull you out. Now, when I'm in the water, if anything goes wrong, you need someone strong enough to pull me out. Sure. So mm. I, for a fact, wouldn't allow a woman to do that job at that point. There's no way a woman's, any woman in the world is going to be strong enough to fucking pull There's me out. There's also no way that if a woman, any woman in the world hugged you, you would not try and fuck her. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the main problem really for you. You've is, got us on that one. That's the, that's the woman's safety. I can't get <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, he's hurt. like, no, just let me put it. No, I can't. <laughs> so yeah. And obviously, if we cut a hole in lubricant, because the seawater would be straight up there. Right. Fine. Okay, wow. Um, okay. But yeah, no, so there comes a point, like you say, where it's Just not logistics about... logistics is what he's thinking about. The logistics <laughs> of fucking a woman. About this more, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not about po- politics, it's about what's practical. Yeah. yeah. I just think as well, the dynamics of a of a room changes, doesn't it? Yeah. When there's women Fucking around, big you know? time. Big time. Because if I'm... If, if a 17-year-old me especially is, you know, what, what happens when you when the man turns around and goes, right, this is how you wash your cock and bollocks, lads, and she's going, well, I don't have them. Yeah. Well, that's it, straight away, things like that. Well, when yeah, you I'll get do. a female officer in and, and she stands next to him and yeah. she's fucking no. lathering up the beaver. No. How's that kind of fucking <laughs> work? Lathering up the beaver, what are you even... Like, that's not the way it works. Because I'll say, no, she's going to have to, no, do that again. I didn't say that. I mean... <laughs> And this, that, you know, when they say 99.99 need not apply, <laughs> no, that's why you I'm need not apply, mate, all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. I'll stay right here, but yeah. Yeah. That, it does change I'll everything, have, doesn't I'll it? I'll have to come on and uh, give it a year and see if there's any woman past them we'll, you know... we maybe get her on. Get her on, yeah. To be honest, I, I fucking love that. I would also be interested to see, there probably are a lot of women who could pass the course. Yeah, I think there is. Serena Williams, not, for one. Beast. Not yeah. now. She's beast. She's pregnant, isn't she? Oh, yeah, she so, is. Uh, yeah. She probably could still do it now, to be fair to her. She is pretty incredible. That, I yeah. suppose, as well. What do you do if, you know... Someone gets pregnant. Last night out before oh, you go to Afghan and, huh? you know, your boyfriend, whatever, and then you go to Afghanistan. Uh, and some yeah. of them would deliberately do that to get out of going to Afghan. Yeah, that? women are really sneaky like that, <laughs> no, aren't they? Just people are. People are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But then at least you'd know if someone got pregnant while they're out there... Mm. You know, they're either fucking the Taliban or they're fucking someone on the bench. <laughs> no, so. genuinely, there's a lass on Instagram who um, I happen to be, like, following at one point. Sure. Shouldn't really admit this. But, um, and uh, she was a fucking dying piece. Like, she was an absolute 10 out of 10. Right. She had, like, curves. She looked fucking unbelievable. And I was like, oh. But when they dress up in the army stuff, it's just a costume. It's not, no, it's she's not a real No, she thing, joined the right. fucking army in that. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, imagine being, like, I, there's just no way I wouldn't be able to fucking have a crack. You know? yeah. By that I mean ask permission. But yeah, so there, when when uh, you were ho- you were fun, never in enough, a foxhole. Funny enough, when I was uh, in training, we had to go on. Um, so again, being in the Marines, I've been in the re- Marines a couple of years, I think, at that point, just being used to being surrounded by men all the time. Yeah. And we went to an army camp, we had to learn how to drive, and it, it was funny seeing like the lads because they're not used to it, and they're like, "Fucking, I've seen air over there," you know, because. There's no Marines on. There's no women on the Marine mm. camp. And uh, and a five out of ten, when there's no women that's ever been on, instantly is like a ten. Like yeah. uh, you, like lads will just dramatically lower standards like if, <laughs> if she's the only girl there as well. Because it's like that office secretary sort of thing, isn't it? Is it? You ever you ever had like the you've never had one woman I've in never a, never no. had a secretary. No, I wish <laughs> yeah. I wish I had a fucking secretary. Yeah. Uh, but no, like and that's why you never have a secretary. If there's no yeah. women there, and then all of a sudden one woman appears, like lads, 
it's like flies on shit, isn't it's it? It's just that dynamics again, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's it, it, you know, <coughs> I think it'd be, and I think that's what I think that's what annoyed a lot of lads when it, it came out because it's it doesn't seem like it's been people in the Marines who've thought it. it's someone in some politician sort of yeah, and that yeah. that's never that's never good when it comes to the military to be honest. But I mean that's part of, that's part of the problem I guess with military is that it is always going to be dealing with politics, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I guess a lot of people will have said, the, well, my granddad was in World War One or World War Two, and those are very different wars to Afghanistan yeah. and Iraq. I remember one of the. I'm guessing that the decision came from from Whitehall or someone back in the UK. But I always remember when we were in Afghanistan. One of the big things to notice Taliban was when the sun was was shining in the sky, it would shine down on any bits of metal. So, for example, if the Taliban was holding the radio, you know, it would glimmer and you'd see something. It was a real good combat indicator that the enemy was there. And then some bright spark decided to, as a PR stunt, you know, hearts and minds that we'd give everyone radios to to sing out the great message of the British troops so then suddenly what what was a really good tactic of you know there's Taliban is he Taliban every man and his dog had a bloody radio and then suddenly you've got, got a it's reason gone. to it and so oh, yeah. that's the type of decision I think where it's come from those type of people who've maybe not got any big wigs fuck everything Teresa not got any grasp two weeks of... in a row now where Teresa's fucked it up <laughs> <laughs> NHS last week army this week there what else can go. you fuck up so, Teresa hmm? alright mate <laughs> So we're getting some for Brexit next week, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. You're at a stage. We've got this stage where you were in the hospital bed, and you have to make a decision now about your leg because I, I think, am I right in thinking after watching Paragon, you were trying to obviously for as long as possible hold on, <clears throat> um, and it was a guy who you'd spoken to in the past that said, "I thought you would come to this decision." Yeah, it was probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life because. I think when it comes to, especially in the medical world, or I suppose in life in general, I think mm. if you're told to do something, it's a lot easier than having, you know, the the onus on yourself to make the right call. Yeah. And so I woke up and basically I lost six centimeters of my fibula and tibia. Wow. And basically, I don't know how the leg was still attached. Mm. So I had the big chunk of the thigh missing. That looked that looked unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. But the damage to the leg was done below the knee. So I'd lost six centimetres of the fib and tib, woke up out of the coma with this huge cage on, and they were like, we can either amputate your leg right here, right now, or you can keep this cage on. We're going to break your leg in a separate position. You're going to get a couple of spanners, and you're going to basically pull the bone apart, a quarter of a mil a turn, and over the period of 14 months, it will have grown back the bone. Because as you're pulling it apart so slowly, the bone regrows. It will strengthen up over 14 months. We can take the cage off and your leg will be back, back, you know, back to new. Wow. So that's really a simple... For me, I would instantly <clears> went, oh, we'll do that then. Yeah, well, for me, you know, so my dad as well was like, you know, if there's a chance of it working, you know, give it a go. And, but then I spoke to other people and I spoke to my surgeon at the time, who I was good, very good friends with, mm. and he said he should amputate it. Because I think he knew then, just because he's a surgeon, he sees this all the time, and he, he's been in the military, you know, 30 years, I think it is, and he knew my mentality. <coughs> so he knew that I wouldn't have been happy with a life, not being able to walk and stuff, and or do the things I want to do, if you like. But at the time, you know, I was, you know, I think 22, I think, 21, 22. So I thought, you know, I, if there's a chance of saving the leg, there's no chance I'm starting to chop parts of my body off that don't need to be chopped mm -hmm. off just yet. So after, you know, I weighed up and it was, it was horrible because I was asking everyone for advice. I was, you know, the cleaner would come in. I'd say, you know, what would you do? Would you amputate or keep the cage? And literally anyone who walked in the ward, 
I asked for advice. I just didn't know what to do. And then in the end, it comes to a point and she said, look, you need to make a decision. What are we going to go for? And I said, look, I'll give the cage a go. And then that was the start then of 14 months of having the cage on. And to be fair to them, the cage did work. You know, it, it did grow back to six centimetres of leg. And I was going to Headley Court, which is the rehabilitation centre. I mean, I had 27 different injuries at the time. Shrapnel to my face, um, forearm, broken elbow, broken sternum, chunk out this forearm, mm. chunks out both thighs and broken both lower legs. So after a few months, everything else had healed and there was just this big cage on. That was the only injury. And I was going through Headley Court and the cage eventually got taken off. But there was so much nerve damage to the leg, the ankle was almost fused together. And you could literally put a lighter underneath the foot and you couldn't you couldn't feel anything. And was it, it almost like dragging around the dead weight? Yeah, yeah. It was it was horrendous. And the thing in the end, I mean, like I said, it did work. I went from a wheelchair to crutches to a walking stick till eventually I could walk, you know, okay ish. But I couldn't run, couldn't play football, couldn't be active. I was taking a lot of painkillers. And the most frustrating thing for me was I couldn't plan my life. I couldn't. I didn't know whether t- tomorrow was going to be a good day or a bad day. Mm. Some days I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. Other days it wouldn't hurt me at all. Or some days I'd do too much and then I'd be in bed for two, three days. And that kind of inconsist- inconsistency, not being able to plan anything, not being able to be active, you know, that got to me in the end. And I was surrounded by guys, like I said before, a big help with the mindset and the recovery was being around like-minded people who've been through similar things. So to be around other amputees, or like amputees, I wasn't amputee amputee at this point, but being around amputees and seeing these lads, you know, popping the leg on, going for a run, you know, climbing a mountain, learning to ski again and all, I was thinking, I'll never be able to do any of that with this leg that, like you said, is dead weight and I just become really frustrated and that's when I started to feel depressed really um, mm. like I watched your gym video and you talk about you know you're getting in the gym and stuff and you know how it makes you feel and I felt I couldn't do a lot of that because of this leg I you know, I felt I felt disabled when you have gone from as you were one of the most active human beings on the planet to being bed bound at times exactly um, your a identity athletes, is completely about. Yeah. Mm. We well, yeah. see a lot of professional athletes, um, Dorian Yates, the bodybuilder, Ricky Hatton, um, you know, the boxers and fighters. When they have, when they stop dead in their tracks from being extremely active to nothing, mm. it just they go downhill for a bit, you know. And I would imagine that must have been really hard. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I got back from Iraq. I got you know, Royal Marine Commando tattoo on me. Um, the best bit about being in the Marines was when anyone asked you what you're doing for a living. I was, in, you know, in the Royal Marines. And it was like going from having that identity to, mm. you know, I, when I had a pair of jeans on, I walk with a limp. And I was thinking, people say, what you do? And you have to explain, oh, I've got this broken leg, but it's not broken. And I'm, but I, but I used to be in the Marines. And I used, it was like. That identity I, that you'd worked yeah, so hard for. It's just totally gone. Yeah. And, you know, you'd always try to be the pinnacle, almost like you say, of the military. And you try to really, and suddenly you were just this, yeah, just this once a Marine broken kind of, that's, oh, you know, he's, and it, it just it killed me it absolutely killed me and then after 18 months that's when I said you know I can't live my life like this I need to take control of my life again and it was a real tough time and what made it even harder was my dad was obviously like what we spoke about you know he brought me up and we were best mates and he was dead against the amputation like he was just like I've seen that on the son, you know, he, yeah he was you know listen 
you know, you're so lucky to be alive. Lucky you've even kept your leg. Just be grateful that you can walk. Mm. You know, who cares if you can run? You know, just be happy walking. And I was grateful that I was alive, but at the same time, I thought, Dad, like, listen, I'm a young lad. I've got this, you know, I've got this attitude now from the Marines where I want to go out and experience life. I want to travel. I want to mm. push You're, myself. You are not life. a victim. That's no. one thing you've proven throughout everything that we've talked about. You yeah. wouldn't be beaten. Exactly, and and this was look. I'm not letting this mm-hmm. to find me. You know, beat me. I'm, I want to get out and, and and do things. And he he couldn't really he couldn't see that. He just thought, you know, you're my only son. Yeah. You're my firstborn. I don't want to see you go in hospital again. What happens if something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, all that. So he admitted on Paragon he was a little bit <clears throat> selfishly worrying because obviously what he'd been through having to look after you and your sisters. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you? I have to now look after him again and become like yeah. a carer almost. Yeah, yeah. He was panicking. Yeah, and I think that was really brave of him to admit that because mm. it was, <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, my kids, you know, we think, what happens if your whole life is affected, isn't it? And their life, and he was worried about whether I go depressed, if, mm. it, if it did go wrong and I was bed bound and all that kind of stuff. And so that was probably the hardest bit about coming to the decision to have the leg amputated, knowing that I was going against my dad, you know, someone who had so much respect and love for, and having to say, actually, dad, on this time, I'm going to go against you. And that was. That was tough, but thankfully now it worked out. You know, it worked out in the end. But at the time, yeah, it was it was tough to go against them. It's quite a turning point as well for a lot of people when you make a decision against a parent, mm. especially if you've only got one parent. Then that's oh, was huge. That's a much bigger deal. Yeah. yeah. And one one of the interesting talking points that I really enjoyed on Paragon was about being called disabled. Like mm. it, it it seems like you you were dead against that. Like and, and you were talking mm. to the lad who Brad, uh, was yeah. the weightlifter. Yeah, Brad was born with cerebral palsy and he, mm. he calls it differently abled. Yeah. And I thought that was a great way to, mm-hmm. to call it. And for me, there was a point for me when something something kind of, you know, switched in my head and I thought, you know, I don't want to be even looked upon or have anything to do with the word disabled. And I was I got into running, not not running a lot, but I done my first Liverpool half marathon. And again, it goes back to that mindset of the Marines. I thought, I'm this Marine again. I'm running a half marathon. That's me. I'm flying again. Young Marine. All this, this is not great when you finally got back running. Yeah, it was. But but the problem was, though, is I was used to, again, being pushing myself to be the best. And I was just taking part in this half marathon. I'd probably not trained as much. And I got to mile 11 and hit a wall. And um, I sound really terrible now, but there was people running past me who were like quite fat. And I'm thinking... How the fuck is he running past me? <laughs> and I'm thunk, and it, it, it killed me because I thought mm. I was used to being this young marine, yeah. really fit. And I thought, and people are jogging past me, going, obviously seeing the leg and thinking, yeah. "Come on, Can't mate, keep it, going." Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, "Don't patronise." Yeah, yeah. like, are you ever, encouraging? Yeah. Do you know what I've done? Yeah, I was, uh. it was kind of like, "Don't you don't need to encourage me. I'll encourage you," type thing. And I finished the run and I got back and I think I'd done it in two hours, but it killed me. <clears> it broke me the fact that people were looking at me. I was, "Come on, mate, keep going." And then I thought, you know, I'm never ever going to run a race and have people, fair enough, people might beat me, but they're going to have to run a good race to beat me now. And then that was that kind of not being linked into being, yeah, not being a victim, not being disabled. And it's like, listen, if I can run a six minute mile or, you know, then, or I can, or I go to the gym five times a week and you tell me what I'm not able to do that you are. And it, it was that kind of, you know, I've been on stag dues where we've been, you know, go-kart, we've done high obstacle things, we've, I've learned to surf, I've learned to ski, I've skydived, rock climbing, go-kart, you know, everything. It's like, you know, if there's something I can't do, then maybe, but up to now, there's not been a point where I've come to that. 
Which uh, is ironic when you say the word disabled. Like this is why you you bring that into question because it's like so many people with both their legs, both their arms, who aren't amputees and all that, who are sitting there doing that on the couch all the time, like yeah. just festering away, and you're living life to the absolute fucking max, aren't you? It does sound a lot like you've um, you, like what the Marines gave you was a really good structure to sort of achieve whatever you wanted. So mm. it, because it is quite a it's obviously constructed to give you um, like a tactical idea or a strategic idea of how to achieve whatever goal well, that's, it is. That's what they say. It, it's a state of mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, massively. And I think that it gives you that confidence to know that you can go and achieve. Yeah. You know, I think when you talk to people and you tell people about your dreams, I always say, you know, if, if your dreams aren't, if your dreams don't scare you, you know, you're not dreaming big enough. You know, if you, if you speak to someone and you say, I want to go and achieve this and they don't think, fucking hell, mate, you're taking a piss, mm. you know, that's when you know you're about right then when people are going, you <laughs> yeah. know and you want them yeah. and, and that's what like I think the Marines kind of I've got that it's like you know you're going to go and earn this green beret you've earned this then you know the world you're oyster going go and do whatever and I think that's definitely given me a good foundation since losing the leg to say well actually it's only a leg you know come on what can we do I can adapt I can overcome you know? and, well anyone who ever <clears throat> achieved anything great where you look at um fighters who've won world titles or anything like that at one point when they were just a bum in the gym just learning and they were and they had a dream of one day i want to be world champion there were people laughing at them yeah and so anyone has achieved anything has seemed a bit mental the best thing is a good dose of adversity Mm -hmm. i think you know you it's such a humbling great experience it's not great at the time but you know it's everyone you look through like you say sports and boxers they've all had at some point whether they're getting told no or they've had a setback and go on to achieve even yeah. you look at on business entrepreneurs you know they all most of them have been bankrupt a couple of times mm-hmm. within their lives you know you need that adversity to appreciate it you know to to regroup and to go again and I the big thing as well I think is um, surround yourself by good people it sounds so obvious and people it sounds so easy to do but people just don't do it another quote I'm, I'm full of quotes but the other quote I love is um, if you're the smartest person in the room you need to change rooms mm. And it's like I t- <clears throat> I turn up at my run. Like, Sorry, I, I need to go. <laughs> Actually, that's part of the reason why I had you as a mate. Because there I you thought, go. Yeah. Well, while he's here, he knows so much about fucking media and podcasts. I can just talk to the camera, but, champion. <laughs> but joking is that that is though. You know what what makes you guys you know good at what you're mm-hmm. doing. You know you mean you bounce off people who are better than you. Mm-hmm. You know I, I turned up at my running group. Credit to himself. All <laughs> oh, right, okay, better, yeah, okay. I mean, you are better than us. But all right, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I turn off at the running group, and I'm the, I'm the slowest one there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I'm fine with that because I know surrounding myself by good good people, you know, I'm going to improve. And I think too many people, you know, just kind of rest on. Or, or they want to be the <clears throat> the richest or brightest or biggest, strongest mm-hmm. in that group of people. Everyone wants to feel like they're the best. Yeah. Um, but there's a saying, another quote where we're bouncing uh, in MMA is iron sharpens iron. And if you're in an environment where you're surrounded by good people, it will make you better. Mm. There's just no way it can't. Mm. Yeah. And um, again, all, all that coming together with, with the kind of, say, what the Marines get. Well, even in the Marines, you're surrounded by people who you're taking a lot off. So I think that's probably where it stems, yeah. just being around by good people and then aspiring, despite the leg, you know, aspiring to think, actually, you know what? I can go and achieve something great here if I, if I put into practice what the Marines have taught me. You're also, obviously, you know adversity because you're a Liverpool fan. <laughs> yeah, big, yeah, big Liverpool fan, yeah. So, tw- 20, 25-ish years of just constant no disappointment for us. No, no, well, I mean, yeah, we talk about that. We've been well, to Champions few, League finals. Few, yeah, a few days, good days out, though. Yeah. Champions League final winners. You did that. So a few FA Cups, a few League Cups. More than Newcastle to so stop your whinging. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, we... 
definitely had it better than Newcastle in recent years. Yeah, yeah. well, we've got Rafa now, so you're your best manager in the last twenty years. So. I don't think I've ever felt so much affection. Like I know everyone likes Jurgen Klopp, but I've mm. never felt so much affection for a manager as I have for Rafa Benitez. Yeah. Before Jurgen come, I, I would have had Rafa back. Oh. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah. well yeah, really, yeah. <clears throat> since um, since Rafa left, you you went downhill a bit, didn't you? It's really until until Suarez give you that one year, I suppose. The Suarez season, yeah. yeah. Suarez season was it. Any, anyone could have managed us that season, I think. Could oh have. yeah, mate. Anyway. Although Brendan Rodgers has obviously gone on to do great things at Celtic. But, <laughs> um, I'm not taking the piss. He's a no, nice guy, but so, I didn't feel the same affection I did obviously. for Rafa. And then uh, I think the video that always gets me, and I probably cry at this video every time, is the one where he's at the Justice for the 96. Yeah, one, yeah. And everyone's chanting his name. Yeah. And when he's getting upset about it. Yeah, because yeah. you see something, you see something different to what you see on Match of the Day every week, which is someone who looks quite, like quite a surgical guy. Mm. They make him out to be this wanker who's sort of like just, you know, he's a bully or whatever, or he mm. expects certain things, and players talk about him in a certain way, and everyone tells those stories. As, as soon as he comes to Newcastle, he was doing like charity work straight away. Yeah, Almost yeah. the day he landed, like yeah. um, he was do- he was going to the evenings where they were putting on stuff for the kids and that. So I think he's just a class act, to be honest. When he left, that- he gave ninety six thousand pounds. Yeah, of his own yeah. cash as well. Like. Yeah. yeah, and he still lived on. Yeah. He still lived near Liverpool. His, his family still lives down yeah, there now. I think he, I don't know. I think he just commutes back and forth, but. Um, but he's uh, the, the same happened when he went to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. A lot uh, in his press conferences. A lot of the journalists. Well, coming out. Chelsea, but, yeah, but I mean, from the fans. won the Europa League, so it couldn't yeah. have been that bad. But yeah. I mean, well, that man sort of uh, takes success wherever he goes. Mm. But the obviously Real Madrid. Um, but but the uh, the interesting thing was when he went to Chelsea, a lot of the London-based journalists said, "I didn't know Rafa was like this. I didn't really, know he was yeah. like this." And most of them were just saying, "Well, we just assumed that he was he, no, because they never went to a fucking Liverpool." Yeah, press but because of the reason why though is because he did it. Let's talk about facts. And yeah. as soon as that happened, I was, yeah. I was an Afghan then. Yeah, really. So oh, you, you, did you that, watch the Liverpool games out there? No, I couldn't watch them, but I got up, obviously yeah. updates because I had a few bets with a few of the Manks out oh, there. Because yeah. we it was when they think United won the league by four points that season, but yeah. it was um, yeah, I was gutted when he done that. Yeah. So how do you get from the point where you just start running again, and you know you've got these fat bastards overtaking you, and you're a bit pissed off to thinking I'm going to break a world record? Yeah. So I yeah started running and then. <clears throat> like everyone social media putting on social media Twitter, Instagram about me running and stuff mm-hmm. and Help for Heroes then I got in touch and they said about this thing called the Invictus Games and it's basically the Americans have something called the Warrior Games which is almost like a mini Paralympics but for injured soldiers and then Prince Harry had been there seen it and said I'm basically going to rob it and call it the Invictus Games Invictus is a better name yeah, for the fair, for the, yeah. the Warrior Games does sound nah, good Invictus though, is awesome, man. That sounds mint. <laughs> yeah. Invictus. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what it means. I like it. I've done both. I got to go to Washington and do the Warrior, and it was yeah. cool. But I think Prince Harry done a great job at, at putting on and, and the people he got involved, and <coughs> it was it was really cool. So they helpful hero said, "Look, um, you know, we're going to put this on. Would you like to go and take part?" And while that was going on in the background, I'd looked at the Paralympics and thought, you know, looked at potential opportunities, and I'd looked at. There was no distance for my classification running five and ten k, which I like doing long distance stuff. There was no, there was no race in the Paralympics. So I got a, a, another marine of mine who lost both his legs at Joe Townsend, and he he got into triathlon. And he said, "Look, Andy, if you oh. want to in, get into the Paralympics, you need to try triathlon. That's going to be in Rio, 2016." So I went down to the um, British Triathlon in Loughborough, took part in that, um, ran really quick. They said, "Great runner." Got on the bike, was okay. 
and then nearly drowned in the water. Um, I improved my swimming, but not to the point where it was going to get mm. me to Rio. And I Can I ask what, um, in terms <clears throat> of swimming, do you have, so I'm assuming for the bike, you have di- do you have different fittings? Yeah, so I've got five or six different legs. So mm-hmm. I've got like a sprinting leg, mm-hmm. a long distance leg. You can get a leg that clips onto a bike, mm-hmm. you know, for the cleats. Right. You can get a swimming leg, but... Well, was that not very good, was it? Did you a lot know? of amputees, no, because it's all... It, it, I mean, I use it when I go on holiday around the pool. Yeah. You know, like going in the water with the kids and stuff. But if I'm getting a shower, I always think there's no point in having a, a shower leg because you need to wash your stump. Mm-hmm. So you can't wash yourself properly if you're wearing mm-hmm. the leg. So I just hop into the shower and wash myself and then mm. put my leg on but yeah I've got you've got golf leg mm. swim leg like say cycle leg I've heard, I've heard from um, people who have been amputated before who said that they still um, <clears throat> have the nerves twitch like they, as though they can feel it yeah, so yeah. do you still get that now, now and again I mean some people get it really bad mm-hmm. it's called phantom limb pain mm. and so I mean I can still move my foot now obviously I'm not but yeah. I can and you can feel it and it just feels like pins and needles but some people can get that like really it causes intense. a lot of pain, yeah. Yeah. Every might happen maybe once a week. I'll get a moment where I'll just kind of, and that'll be it gone. But some people can get it quite bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because of my injury, because there was so much nerve damage, I think maybe that's helped anyway. Mm. So that when I had the leg amputated, there wasn't many good nerves left anyway. So you did the triathlon and yeah, I did the triathlon got the bug for it, yeah. Yeah, got the bug for sport really, and then and then went to the Invictus Games, and then again a lot of my friends were going on to the to Rio. I thought there's got to be other amputees that like running long distances. So I've done a bit of Googling and because it's not in the Paralympics, there's no official records for it. So I started looking upon other amputees and I came across a Canadian guy called uh, Rick Ball and he could run 10K. He held the records for the 10K, the half marathon and the marathon for a single leg amputee. Again, being the competitive knob that I am, I thought I want to I tweet him. So I tweeted him and then he didn't get, didn't get back. It happens but to I me thought, all the time. And, yeah, when I try and get guests on the podcast, people, yeah, it's a do, nightmare. Do through. Just one little tweet, that would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen, seen you tweet about that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can't miss them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... so and you didn't I get thought, back you know. I didn't get back to me, but I thought, it, you know, it was all over the internet that this is the time to beat. So I started going for it, and, um, and that was it. And that was always in the back of my mind. And then how the documentary came about with... With that, really, as I was doing these motivational talks, going to schools, businesses, and I do a lot of work for Liverpool Football Club, and I went on their Thursday night live show, and then after it, one of the guys, one of the producers, said to me, "May here's me card." He said, "My name is Matt Owen. Here's me card. Can we go for a coffee next week?" I've always wanted to make a documentary since I went to uni. I've just sat on my arse and done this bloody job at Liverpool for the last ten years. I've not put my degree to use. Listen, let's let's have a coffee. So we went and sat down for a coffee and I'm thinking like, I've never been in a documentary, I don't know where to even start. He says, well, I've never made one either, but you know, <laughs> let's just get a camera, start rolling. And you know, you you breaking this record potentially could be something really good. And we literally, like the running then became, I mean, I was always keeping fit and I was trying to break this record, but I think it gave me a good good pressure to think, mm. fucking hell, I've really got to try and go. When the camera's stuff. on you. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that when I made that gym video, you know. Yeah. That was just my camera. Yeah. <laughs> I could have just stopped it at any moment. But I remember thinking, when I was benching, I'm like, come on, you bastard. You and your little socks. In my head. Yeah. Yeah. In my little mind. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that gave you some it extra go. oomph, didn't it? Yeah. And it was, um, the funny thing was, though, it just got bigger and bigger. To, and that pressure just, mm. just grew. You know, it was like, you know, you're doing it on your own with the camera and then people walk in or something and before you know it 
everyone's thinking. asking about it every yeah. time they see you and that. But there's a thing which I do. It's called the Edison effect, and it's by saying something, you're gonna do it. You know, it increases your likelihood of doing it. Sometimes yeah. I'll do that. Like I'll tweet out something, like, and I think that that really works. Having a goal massively, yeah. Um, and not keeping it to yourself, telling. No, put it out there. Yeah. Put it. it it's definitely helps, and I think Dorian Yates spoke about this. He was a champion bodybuilder, and he said, "It's talking about your goals. You can almost talk them into reality." Yeah. Uh, Conor McGregor, he, when he first started fighting the UFC, he right. said, "I'm going to be a two weight world champion," <clears throat> and he wasn't even a one weight world champion. People were laughing at him, yeah. and then he sat there with two gold belts in two years' time. It's it does that, work. It's that book, the secret. You know, if you can uh, believe it, you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read the book, the secret. I love that, and it was that kind of thing. You know, you've almost willed it into into mm. a thing. And so we sat there, started filming, and it was literally just me and him on the track, running around the track. And then he was filming, filming me in the gym. And then we set a date for June, I think it was. And I put on Facebook, I need some pace makers. Can anyone run 10K in around 36 minutes? So the world record was 37.53, mm. the unofficial world record. So I just put on Facebook, not knowing anything about running. The only running I was doing was with my dog down the beach. That was it. And then. I'd just done a, a a talk for a corporate client who then started following me on, on social media. And she said, I've seen you wanting a pace maker. I don't run, but you need to speak to this girl called Rachel, uh, Rachel Burns, her name is, and she runs for Great Britain and Liverpool Harriers. So I messaged this girl, Rachel, I said, Rachel, will you be a pace setter for me? I'm going to put on my own event and I just need a few pace setters. And she said, I'm more than happy to help, but I think what you're trying to do, you need to speak to a running coach. So... At this time, all the documentaries still going on, and and then the documentaries then now getting introduced to this running coach, yeah. and the running coach guy called Tony Clark for Liverpool Harriers, a genius, absolute great guy, and I started running with them. So this documentary's just gone from me and Matt just running around the track on our own to now we're in a running club. Mm. Um, we got like I say, Jamie Carragher come to see me when I was injured, and we've kept in touch with him. So kind of dropped Did it. Did make you feel better that when you ran with him, you were definitely quicker than him. <laughs> I don't know. He's he's still competitive. He's now. still he quite might, quick. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely competitive. Touching by the YouTube football yeah, yeah, matches, yeah, yeah. he I'll kicked remember. a few lumps out of some of the young lads. Like. Not to challenge him to a race, maybe. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, but so to text him. You know, he, he he said, "Can we come and interview you for part of the documentary?" Because it worked well because he came to visit me when I first got injured, so there was a good link in there. Yeah, the documentary. I'd like that. And then. Uh, Paul Smith, uh, Big Smith, a uh, boxing family in Liverpool. Paul, Callum, Liam. Mm. Um, we trained with them in the gym. So then suddenly, and then uh, we done some stuff for the Invictus Games, and Bradley Wiggins was there. And then I've got a friend who knows Tom Hardy, and then he done a voiceover for us. Great. And then it's suddenly, hang on, this is like you're pulling in a proper names. fucking movie now, isn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. What you're saying, though, you put it out there, and it sort of it comes together. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like when my podcast, when I said I want to make a podcast, I thought might run out of people but things just happen people yeah. people just pop up out of nowhere and it does happen like that well my running coach um, coached Ronnie O'Sullivan that's how we got Ronnie in <laughs> and, and Ronnie uh, suffered, with, suffered with depression he mm. got into running and running really helped him and like I say I suffered with I never got diagnosed but you know you know yourself when you're not feeling great and mm. that's what, that was my reason for getting a dog and getting out and getting active so then that really fitted in really well with Ronnie and again it, it wasn't as if we crowbarred anyone into it it naturally just kind of Hang on, we've met him and this works well. And and then before you know it, it was like something, a little documentary that was going to live on YouTube or Vimeo. Had the There's nothing wrong with YouTube, to, but yeah. Of ITV, yeah. Some people better. do get bigger views than ITV on YouTube. But yeah, yeah, yeah well, it's true. Yeah, I'm looking at your bloody subscribers, yeah. you know. So, but yeah, at the time, it was 
you know, that's that's all we thought, something yeah. to live on YouTube or Vimeo or something yeah. like that. You know, we'll do one day type thing. But then when ITV come in, it just, it was, I, I love the story more. Obviously, Paragon's a story in itself, but I love the story of Matt. You know, yeah. Matt was a guy who, you know, he, we, we can all sit there in our normal nine to five jobs and just think, yeah, this is me. And he thought, you know what? I've done this degree. I love films. He's a real geek, film geek. He said, I want to make a film. And he got made redundant a week after we started filming, wow. which made it a real awkward conversation because it was like, do you still want to carry on with the yeah, film? Yeah. Or what, what do you want to do? And to his credit, he said, look, I've got a bit of money there saved. Let's keep on rolling. And um, If anything, it probably made him more more tunnel vision on it, it the did, project, yeah. yeah. It did, and, you know, I think that story in itself to, to, you know, chase your dreams, you know, don't get bogged down by the nine to five. You've got to do this just because everyone thinks you should. Hmm. You know, if you've got a passion, go and do it. Like, you, you with the channel, you started up, look, something I want to do, let's just go for it. Mm -hmm. And then, it, like I said, it snowballed. And then that gave me, a, a, with the running, the running became, look, I've got to break this record now. There's all these, this, all this pressure the documentary is going to be here and then thankfully like I say it, it, it come to the night when we had drones up in the sky and four or five guys with cameras following me and stuff and it was a great night and, and, and thankfully yeah, I went on and broke it mm. that moment when you broke the record and the camera zooms in on you and you can see so many emotions going through your face like it was it was an amazing shot that they got how yeah. how were you feeling at that moment when you went across the Getting, finish line um goosebumps now mate it was it was everything that, that i'd wanted because it was um it was such a long process from the getting injured to the rehab to the decision mm -hmm. should i shouldn't i have the leg amputated to the training and the time i put in this was like the ultimate justification that i'd made the right decision in having the leg amputated mm -hmm. in it it's something that I'm always searching for. Not that I need any justification now, but for a long time, it was, did I have the leg amputated? You know, was it the right reason? And then to run a six-minute mile, and, you know, that was a thing in the Marines. It was always a six-minute mile, you know, it was a quick pace. And then to do it with one leg, it was like, that sounds really up my own arse, if you like, but I, I felt so proud of myself that, you know, so you I'd, should be, mate. I'd, I'd done it, you know what I mean? And I was just so grateful for the people who came into my life, you know, the, the running, Matt and Nick, who, who Nick was the cameraman, mm. Matt, whose idea it was for the documentary, the running coach, the team around me, the family friends I had there, it was just this kind of just immense pride that, you know, we'd had this vision. We didn't know where it was going to take us, but mm -hmm. we thought, let's try and break the record. Let's make a, a documentary about the journey, trying to break that record. And then just to see it all, you know, come to fruition mm -hmm. in the way it did was just such a happy feeling. And then just, you know, crying at the end, a big lump in my throat. And, and then... Like Jamie Carragher was there watching and stuff and just a surreal night I think you know there was one point in the race where as I ran down the home straight it was great because the crowd was there you got a real buzz a real lift off everyone Yeah. but then when you ran around the other side it was quite quiet mm -hmm. and I think Jamie had realised this I seen that maybe my facial expressions or something that I was flagging a bit and lap 18, 19 he went and stood on the other side and I'm running past and he was like come on Andy keep it going and I, I think I flew down that back straight you know because I had visions of yeah being in a, in a Yeetsies in Bootle watching Istanbul yeah. and you see him like come on that, that's surreal that, when thinking, it's like your football hero yeah. is cheering you on and he's just done it to me I'm thinking <laughs> who's, doing, who's doing that to the lads and, and it was like wow this is, mm -hmm. this is crazy and and then yeah he, it was just an unbelievable night I don't think I'll ever top it to be honest yeah. mm -hmm. I look, I'm look, i looking at your life and my mind's eye here thinking to myself yeah I was a young lad lost his mother at a young age probably went through as bad of a time at a young kid's age as you can and then to go from that to alright you're a Royal Marine 
now your world record holder now on Sky a program about you is on demand for everyone to watch you know like what what is there left to achieve like you know you've done it you've done everything 35 minutes it's crazy yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah do you know what I mean like it's it's been it's been mental it. yeah it's um, but what I'm loving as well um, the impact that it's had on people as well it sounds really cheesy to think oh you've inspired people but you know when it's like I do now for a job like motivational speaking and I think what I, what I try and get across is you there's no one word I mean we all watch motivational videos and nice like quotes and stuff which is great and they do work but simply by being like the, the best version of you mm. you know that automatically naturally inspires mm. people around you anyway and sometimes you don't need to say something or do anything in particular just by you being the best version of you you can be that that's enough sometimes and I think what Paragon's done and what Matt's done you know it's all down to him really how we, the story he's told now this isn't about me trying to say I want to go and inspire people this is selfishly me saying I want to redefine myself you know I don't care about anyone in that sense I just want to prove to myself that you know I'm I'm still as good as I was if you like and uh, despite the one leg so it was about perception a lot of it what you were saying earlier was you know when you your, your leg was still attached to it, but it was almost a dead weight and mm. you didn't like the way people were looking at you and now you've you've redefined that completely yeah. because now people are again looking at you not just as that big strap marine but they're now looking at you as he's a bloody world That's record the big holder thing. mate you know what I mean even that though on a selfish point of view it was the perception people have it was if they had of me what I, I wanted that to change but mm. what it's actually done is people are looking at themselves now as well and the, mes- the messages that I've got literally thousands of messages saying you know, I was in a really dark place and I've just watched Paragon and it's, it's given me you know I want to live again and it's mm. like wow you know I didn't didn't expect kind of that but all kinds of funny messages saying um, I've been putting off going for a run and I've just done a, done a one mile you know one mile run around the block or something or I've just went and bought a new pair of trainers and you think if it just by me trying to be the best yeah. version I can be it, it inspires people and I think if you can do that you know that's great and um, like I say we never set out to well, I suppose we did in a, in a way but it was selfishly about me trying to break this record and it's turned into this big vehicle now that can hopefully show people that anything's possible you know mm-hmm. if you set your mind to it you, know, you surround yourself by good people you stay positive you know you don't don't focus too much on the negatives and and you have that mindset which you can develop you know and, and use the adversities to, to grow stronger and for me now it's it's just been a great kind of like I say vehicle to drive forward and say look you know if I can do this I'm just a a one-legged lad from Bootle, you know, if I can do it, then, then you know, why can't you? Love it, mate. Absolutely love your attitude. I think everyone should feel this way. Mm. Um, you got any more questions, mate? No, just fascinated to listen. Really I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, like, I'm pretty sure everyone at home is probably feeling the same way I am right now. I mean, you're mind-blown, to be honest with you, mate, at times. like The thing is, man, like, you look at what, what you, you've done. I went, like, say, since we've been in touch and after looking at the stuff you're doing, I think everyone's got their own Throwing a little thing in life, mm. haven't they? That the good, you know, and and again, it goes back to that just being what you can do in the best, you know, you being the best, mm-hmm. you know, the best guy doing podcasts and, and YouTube videos. I think you can always aspire to, to go to that next level, and I think it's such a crime to stay in your comfort zone, you know, try new things, yeah. get out and, and push it. This year, especially, I've started feeling that way um, about trying to do different types of videos and, and not being a one trick pony, do you know mm. what I mean? And, uh, I mean, what is what is next for you? What what do you want to do next after everything you've achieved, mate? Um, so so at the minute I've just um, just qualified as a personal trainer. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm into doing the fitness stuff, which is is going well. Doing a lot more um, public speaking, 
which is great. But the next goal, physically, um, I want to try and break the five k record. So I want to try and run five k in under seventeen minutes. That's like a five and a half minute mile. Yeah, yeah, that'll be um, fucking tough. One, so yeah, I want to try and go for that in August. And I've just signed a book deal, so I've got a book coming out in February. Fantastic. Well, uh, yeah, let us know when that's out, mate, and uh, yeah, we'll yeah, promote that for you. Well, cheers, mate. Um, well, one final question, mate. Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? How that? Oh, bloody hell, that's a good one. Um, it's the one I always like to ask people just to see what they, how what they want. I'd love to, to think. I'd love to think. I got another quote for you. Tupac. I always remember said one, and he said, "I might not change the world, but I guarantee I will." You know, I might have had an impact on the one who does. Mm. So, like I say, going in doing these motivational talks, I'd love it if someone who was, you spoke was successful yet in years to come. Maybe I'm long gone, and someone might have thought, you know what? I, I remember this guy came in and done a talk mm. for me, and you know, so if someone can just remember something about, yeah, I can, I can achieve something, you know, or remembered something I've done or said, and and thought if he can do it, then yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a go. If anyone can think of me or look at me in that light, then. I'll, I'll be happy with myself. Well, mate, you're putting out a fucking shit ton of positivity, and I'm pretty sure everyone watching uh, is inspired right now because I am. Thanks so much for having me on. It's um, been a pleasure. Absolutely, mate. Thanks for coming on, Thanks Andy. So much, I'll put all of his details in the description below, and when the book's out, that'll be going in there. Everything. Check them out on Twitter. Honestly, one of the best blokes we've had on this podcast. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, boys. Thanks. If you enjoyed the video, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you later. <laughs>